talk, we talk, we talk Superman, and we know what's happening. We talk, we talk, we talk Superman, and we cover everything. Hey everybody and welcome back to All Star Superfan, the podcast that delves into the 80 plus year legacy of the Man of Steel. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Alan Burke, and joining me again is my good friend and co-host, the Dublin Dynamo himself, Mr. Robert O'Connor. Hey Rob. Dynamo. (laughs) I thought you'd like that one. I do like that one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Dynamo. So I'm full of power, full of energy. We can work with that. If that's what you want to take from it, then you take that from it. Do I have enough energy to power Argo City and keep them from suffocating to death? That That is the question we're going to ask tonight. We'll find out by the end of the episode. Um, before we get into it, we will just go to our socials there. You can find us at All Star Superfan on both Facebook and Instagram, at All Star Super Pod on Twitter. Be sure to reach out, get in touch with us. We love hearing from you guys. If you can subscribe and uh, review or, you know, share anything you can do to help us um, get the word out about All Star Superfan, we'd really appreciate it. Are you excited to talk to tonight's guest, Robert? I'm, I'm extremely excited. He's very passionate about a movie that I'm very forgiving of. I love talking about. So I'm really excited to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about a Another movie that almost never gets talked about. So, uh, yeah, really excited to talk to tonight's guest. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to have him on, too. I mean, um, I've known Martin for a couple of years now. Um, we bumped into each other, actually, without me even realizing at the time. I bumped into Martin at London Film and Comic Con back in 2017. And it was only after Martin was on uh, one of the Caped, he made one of his appearances on uh, Caped Wonder podcast, the Superman podcast. And I was looking through the photos of LFCC and I was like, oh, that's, that's Martin. That that was the guy that I met because I remember I was walking through I was walking through the convention and uh, I, I I saw his he was walking in cosplay his full Superman Christopher Reeve cosplay and I was like I got to get a picture with this guy and Martin is just such such a nice guy um someone I I have admired for a long time someone who I think represents in, in a world today where you know fandoms can be quite toxic he he really represents the best of what a what a what a, what a fan can be and you know how to represent a fandom and we're thrilled to have him on he's the uh, creator of Supermania seventy eight Mr Martin well good Good evening, gentlemen. Wow, what Welcome an introduction. <laughs> I am flattered beyond reproach. I love that. Rob, I love the fact that you oh. say it's it's a film that uh, you, you're most forgiving of. I think. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's establish we are talking about Superman 4, and that is yes. the most commonly held perception. So that is that that explains that that saves me a lot of explanation. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I actually discovered you through your Instagram specifically because I like Superman 4 so much, and you post a lot about Superman 4. And I was like, oh yeah, this is this is cool. And then I remember you did the uh, the recreation of uh, of scenes of Superman. Superman Four Redux is that what it was called? Superman Four Redux, Redux yeah. is uh, a Richard De Dominici production, part of his. Um, uh, he's done a, a series of of takeoff films uh, like that called uh, the Redux Project. Okay. And uh, Superman Four was his was his biggest budgeted uh, picture to date. I I, I really really liked it. You you really kind of uh, channeled Christopher Reeve in a lot of the, the sort of shots he recreated, and I could tell you were going to pains to sort of recreate his performance. I thought it was really really good. So well done. Uh, Thank I, you very much. I, I'm a huge Milton Keynes fan. I took a pilgrimage out there myself. Uh, we talked about it. Yeah, here we go again. Here we go. We talked again. about it a little bit on when we had Oliver Harper on. So uh, any yeah. any reuse of Milton Keynes is is uh, is 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 fine by me. 
you know, so many people have done that. So many people have made that that little pilgrimage because it, what's beautiful about it is is that very little has changed since, you know, in, in 86 when they shot it. You know, it looks exactly the same as it did. Um, but the extraordinary thing about doing the Redux for me anyway was that we were kind of allowed to access all areas because the somehow we'd managed to get Milton Keynes Council involved. And uh, the, the council members to this day, I mean, a lot of them were still serving back in 86. They are so proud of this, uh, the fact that, you know, Superman visited their town. And so they couldn't do enough for us uh, in terms of uh, allowing us access to those buildings and, you Great. know, those particular rooms that they shot in. It was uh, incredibly gratifying for me because, you know, as a, as a fanboy, which is all I, all I have ever been, to just have the the arrogance really to kind of rock up there and say I want to do this I don't care in in what capacity mm -hmm. I just showed up in the costume because I just thought it would be a good idea not thinking for a minute that he'd cast me uh, in the lead so mm -hmm. I, was, I was to this day I'm still blown away. Well, it's such a it's such a thing to be proud of like for 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 a town like Milton Keynes to to have that history and have that association with a Christopher Reeve film um and such an iconic character you know christopher reeve is the superman of all supermen we we can all agree on that um and to have that associated with your with your home city or your hometown that's it's, it's an amazing thing to be able to to, to oh, link up for with. sure well back in the day i mean before obviously the, the film became what it was i mean this was the the latter half of the the decade-long legacy of chris's uh, performance as superman and so yeah it was a big deal at yeah. the time and, uh, I've, you know, I've made this, I've, I've said this on a couple of occasions, I missed out seeing him film there. Yes. Uh, and I only, I only found out decades later when my dad mentioned he'd seen it on TV the night before and was planning to take me down there and for some reason didn't. <laughs> I've only, yeah, we've, we've, you know, I've only just started speaking to him again. But <laughs> I, I, what, what really just, what I love about that whole thing is that, you know, when you, when you see these movies being made now, they're being made in Vancouver, they're being made in, and even London, they're, they're being made in places where there's an industry around, you know, um, you know, movies being made there. So in, invariably, when you see people in the background, they're all extras, they're all people who showed up. What, when, you're, when you're watching Superman 4, you're like, this is, this is a town where they've never made a movie before. And suddenly they're making, you know, one of the biggest, well, it was supposed to be one of the biggest movies of the year. They're making it there. And you can just picture all these kids standing in the rain waiting for Christopher Reeve to show up. And there's just a real magic about that for me. Like, it's it's something that we kind of have lost a little bit in today's kind of blockbuster environment where everything is kind of churned out and everything is kind of... There's an expectation when you watch something that, oh, it was just... It was made something where, where, they, where they've made a million movies, you know, where there's just something a little bit magical. And as you say, Martin... The place looks identical to the way it did in the movie. Literally, there's a staircase where there was an escalator. That's the only difference I noticed. Yeah, um, yeah the train station, uh, the front of the train station particularly is uh, is superb because you know you, you can just envision the, uh, the the crane being reflected in the front of the. Uh, uh, in the in the glass panels and I've got photographs where um, he's uh, he's swooping in for that shot and uh, you can see through the glass panels in the offices wow. and people are stood there I mean they're supposed to be getting on with whatever they're doing you know job wise and they're they're clearly just stood there with <laughs> cups of tea and they must be thinking to themselves my god this is incredible because to them from what from what they're looking at they wouldn't have seen wires yeah. they would have seen the the crying for sure but you know fancy I mean you talk about the difference between contemporary superhero pictures and 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 then mm. and you know now you wouldn't have you wouldn't have your principal actor hanging 150 feet in the air by two thin wires by his by his loins it just wouldn't happen 
and you know that's uh, that scene that scene in Superman 3 where they shoot him up over the traffic yeah. you know in the opening scene of Superman yeah. 3 where he comes like never do that never do you that. couldn't take the risk I mean he, he was in enough trouble he was always Chris was always in trouble because he was a pilot as you know and yeah. he would always like uh, break the, the rules and go off and uh, fly across the, the Atlantic and all sorts of, of daredevil escapades. But I think that in particular, I mean, the fact that it's so well recorded because we do have all these stills of him just hovering there above the train station in Milton Keynes waiting for the next take. Um, yeah, it, there's, there's so much artifice now in, in the contemporary superhero films. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't really be caught dead in Milton Keynes. You, you wouldn't really be caught dead anyway, but the idea was is that they were going to add Matt paintings yeah. for, to those you know to those yeah. few stories of the train station it was supposed to be the the un building eventually but you know it one of the reasons i champion it so much is because it's you know it, it, it's its own thing i mean yeah. obviously the focal point is chris right in the center and, it, and it's fabulous all around him but you've got you've got this this incredibly surreal abstract film that's been built around him that's so obviously made in england yeah. so obviously from, from yeah. We need to get a petition going. We need a statue yeah. of Christopher Reeve Superman in Milton Keynes to commemorate to commemorate on a Rocky a Rocky yeah. what is it, Rocky Three style statue. Again, I've been approached about that as well. Somebody's already mooted that idea. Wow. Um, yeah, uh, I've been in touch with a fellow that's uh, there's a there's a costume for sale. Another one of the costumes coming up at auction specifically from Superman Four. And uh, they're talking about uh, doing a crowdfunder or something to get to buy the costume at auction. I don't know where we're going to get 60 grand from plus. Um, but then they're talking about displaying it in the new Milton Keynes Sci-Fi Museum as a tribute, which I think is a terrific idea. But I don't know how, how practical terrific it is, but idea. it's a terrific idea nonetheless. Because it, because it was bizarre to me that I, yeah. I was stood in Milton Keynes and it could just be anywhere. Like there was absolutely no recognition that this had happened. And I, I literally, just to commemorate the event... I went into a um, CEX used DVD shop and I bought the Superman collection just so I could say I bought a copy of Superman 4 in Milton Keynes and then I bought a Superman t-shirt in TK Maxx two doors down. <laughs> and I was kind of stood there going like, and I mentioned it, uh, sorry again to the listeners, I mentioned this in the Oliver Harper episode. I was standing outside the train station and I could see this other guy taking photos wearing a Superman t-shirt and I went up to him and I was like, are you here for the same reason as I'm here? And he was like, oh yeah, Superman 4, right? And I was like, yeah. And there's this great photo of this total stranger I met. Um, I, I later found out he's a cosplayer known as the Hull Iron Man. So another plug for the Hull Iron Man on All-Star Superfan. Yeah. And we're going we're gonna to have to move on from Milton Keynes, Alan, if you want to. Yeah. Oh, just... Just so, one more thing, actually, Martin, before we do before we do divert. Yeah. When I was there, before I was casting the Redux, I was doing a very similar thing to what you've just done. It's reminded me. And I was in the train station itself, and there was a flower salesman right at the front. And and he, he was an old boy, so I thought, you must have been here for time. Yeah. And I just approached him, and I said, uh, excuse me, pal, were you here in 1986? He goes, yeah, why you ask? And I was like, well, I don't suppose you remember Superman 4 being filmed out here. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, he came swooping in right down in the front. And uh, very quiet man, very nice. Yeah, he stayed in his trailer most of the time. But yeah, we were there for that. I saw it all. That's and amazing. I was like, <laughs> I was like, nice, to, nice talking to you, mate. Oh That's God. incredible. I love that. So, Martin, just to kind of um, get listeners, kind of let them know a little bit about your history. Can you tell us what's your your earliest memory of Superman? How? Why do you? 
what has attracted you to the character of Superman? Um, that you have uh, you have become such a lifelong fan of the character. Can can you can you remember what it was or what first brought you oh, into, sure, the, into sure. the fandom? Um, well, I'm yeah, I'm I'm close to fifty now, which a lot of uh, you know, fans from that era, you know, a lot a lot of it's around Star Wars. But it, you know, I got slapped in the face kind of by Star Wars, and then Superman just took it to the next level. But for me, it all began when uh, I mean, I can. I could be any fellow from from our generation to say the same kind of thing, but um, my yeah. mom bought me a packet of the trading cards, the Tops trading cards, oh, if you remember those, yeah. with a white border. And I, I remember going them, through yeah. those and just thinking, wow. In particular, looking at pictures of Chris, because, you know, we've grown up on cartoons and stuff like that. But when I looked at those pictures, this was a guy that didn't look as if he was somebody in the suit playing a part. This looked like the actual guy. Yeah. To me, to me, you know, to my you know, eight-year-old eyes or whatever it was at the time, and you know that was further compounded by the fact that uh, the the Mego figures uh, were out at the time as well, and there was a guy who yeah. lived in the next road to me, and and he had one of these things. It's really rare now; I think it's worth about six hundred pounds and a box. But yeah, regardless, I, and I played with this thing all day long, and you know, from that point on, that was kind of where it started, and and from that point on, I couldn't get enough, and then. To compound everything they had a showing of it and 16 millimeter at my school oh, wow. at my infant school we had this guy that used to go around and used to used to be able to kind of rent this guy and he'd have all these 16 mil films and a projector and he'd go to birthday parties long before you know anything else fun fun happened and he would yeah. just show up with his projector and he would show these pictures on these on this you know this screen and uh, they showed the whole picture at uh, at my school. And I remember just being, I mean, not just me, the entire uh, audience of kids. There must have been about 50 or 60 of them. That were, you know, and this was in, Superman in, the in, movie, and, is it? Was that a... This was Superman the movie. Um, but this was later. This wasn't 78. Yeah. This was much later, much later. Mm. Um, but, you know, in a, in a hall full of kids that usually would have been running and screaming up and down, they were, they were sat on the floor of this hall, riveted on the spot. And after seeing that, it, it it just kind of that's that's when the impression was made to me during the helicopter scene, during the death of Jonathan Kent, all the all of yeah. the you know the the high points in the in the film that we've talked about many a time. That's when it grabbed me, and I just thought you know the, the duality of it really hit me as well. You know the the, the difference between because you know I was a kind of a bumbling shy kid, so you know the the idea of of Clark Kent being a secret kind of thing and then because you know what's inside is is what counts and you know and from that point on it just got you know it got really silly i used to have a superman t-shirt used to wear under my school uniform and run up and down the playground pulling my shirt open you know and, and it builds and it builds and it builds and before you know it you're an adult and you know this this whole world of you know how they were made uh, hits you and then you start all over again essentially yeah. you know, because i was always fascinated with the the making of programs uh, if you remember those, I'm making of Superman one, two, and three, and Supergirl, and they gave you an insight into you know how these things were were done, and the fact that they were made by you know mainly British technicians, gentlemen of, of incredible old school talent, uh, and I think to this day we still haven't finished nitpicking exactly how they managed to achieve half of the uh, half of the visual effects that um, you know that they that they. Uh, adapted to to make this picture in fact to make all these pictures to make mm. them so impressionable i mean here we are 42 years later still talking about it 
And you can't tell me, and you've never been able to tell me that that applies. That's a that's a kind of a you, you can gloss everything over it with that kind of brush, because you you know you just don't. Um, I think Superman the movie is now kind of a classic in the same vein as Wizard of Oz, maybe, and you know, and Easy Rider and other things, and Jaws, Star Wars. You know, it, it's it's right up there. And so it really doesn't matter which kind of direction the sequels went. As it happened, you know, I'm a fan of all of them still, mainly because of, you know, Christopher Reeve's you know, indelible portrayal. But, you know, that that's to give you a kind of really short version. That's how it that's how it hit me. And that's how it kind of um, resonated, continues to resonate. And by the time Superman 4 came along, I was 13 and, you know, I, I was smack right in the center of that uh, that audience mm. you know that that kind of target audience and uh it, it could have been you know two hours worth of, of chris sitting on the toilet for, all, for all <laughs> you know but by that by that time i was thoroughly won over and there was so much to enjoy in that in that in that picture alone yeah. you know because it doesn't you know and i found the same my, i have this kind of saying now when it, you know when all these other adaptations or the remakes and everything else has come in and you know, it, it, they're products of their time too, and they're you know visually they're stunning. But you know, I always say that you know we'll always have raiders, and that's kind of my terminology for everything. And what I mean by that is, is that you can't take that away. Yeah. From me, you know, raiders to me, you know, to coin another uh, fabulous picture, is 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 a perfect film. Back to the Future is a perfect film. Jaws is a perfect film, and you can't take that away from us, no matter what you do. So every time I come out of something, in, invariably these days where I'm disappointed, like, you know, Wonder Woman 84, for example, it's like, oh, we'll always have Raiders, you know. So yeah. it's kind of, that's yeah. the direction I always uh, travel. Because I, I've said it before, like, it, it is hard to explain to younger listeners how, like, there was nothing <gasps> like it before. Like, there was nothing like the, the <gasps> Superman, the movie before 1978. Um, the same way there was nothing like, you know, Dr. No before that came out. And what year, Rob? 62. 62 he's he rob is our is our james bond buff um but like it's it's hard to describe in in in, in, in a time when we're so saturated with content superhero content uh, superhero tv shows comic books you know everything films movies it's it's hard to describe to someone how uh, just uh, it came out of nowhere and it was just it set the standard yeah and that's why i'm so keen to kind of you know that's that's that feeling Alan, that you're talking about is I'm so in tune with that because that's, you know, I was the guy that used to run to the video recorder whenever the Shreddy's advert came on and, you know, silly yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, because yeah. It, you're right, there was absolutely nothing like it. It was a revelation. And interestingly enough, you know, to try and kind of close this generation gap, I actually showed Superman 2 to my son, who's six, the other day. And I didn't watch the picture at all. I just sat and watched him. And, you know, he mm. just, he was, he, he was overjoyed by it. He thought it was so much fun. You know, he, he, all the, all the comedy yeah. uh, marks hit him. He got all the jokes. Uh, he was horrified when Clark gets beaten up after he's uh, depowered. That's a really powerful scene, you know, when, when you watch that over. Yeah. Yeah. You forget. You I forget. mean, you Dick forget. Donner shot that one as opposed to Lester, and you can that still reeks of Donner the way that that stage because you know he takes a real pummeling and you know the sound effects of his hair being torn yeah. out and that kind of stuff. I mean, that's pretty rough. Yeah. Um, and he loved it. You know, he just he just loved it. He found Superman the movie quite scary My, in comparison. But I I know people who specifically don't watch Superman the movie 
or, or like young people who saw Superman the movie when they were very very young and they found it so frightening that they kind of stuck to Superman too. My my friend Parker, he said all the earthquake stuff was just too harrowing as yep. a child that he never watched it until he was much much older. Just don't show them. Just don't show them Superman three. Superman so, three. Yeah. That's the most terrifying Superman film of them all. That's so boring. I have to. I have to say, Martin, <laughs> that thing you said. We, we, we'll always have Raiders. That that's to me that that's a very um, that it it's a very good way to look at these things because I think I you know I'm getting older now and I am finding that I'm kind of reaching that point where I'm not getting as excited about things even if they do look good mm. like for example the robert pattons and batman like i know in my heart that that'll probably be a really good film but i'm just not finding myself as excited for it as i was for previous versions of batman or whatever and i think it, because i think the reason for that is i'm, I'm kind of realizing i'm past the point where i'm, go, I'm it's going to take over you know my life and my my whole sphere of excitement and i for me like Batman Begins was probably the most excited I'll ever be about a Batman movie. And I, I just wonder, is, is it is it is it an age thing where, you know, when you're a certain age and a movie catches you at a certain time, like Raiders or Superman the movie for you, like, is there is there, is there a possibility that you can't recapture that with these newer things as they come along? Or is it more so just that there's so much stuff now that it's harder to kind of latch onto things? And there's less stuff that's really good nowadays. It's, uh, you know, that's a superb question. Um, and the fact of the matter is you're not going to get that feeling again. Um, it yeah. is, it must be at least 50% nostalgia. But again, you cannot discount mm. the fact that these, the, you know, the, especially the pictures that we're talking about, they have stood the test yeah. of time and they are bloody good films. You know, whichever way you slice it, they're incredible, incredible films. Um, and I would agree about the, uh, I, I agree about Batman Begins, I agree about, uh, you know, the Nolan trilogy to an extent, but, you know, they don't yeah. generate that kind of longevity, I don't think. Maybe maybe it's because, you know, it's not for our generation to adapt and it doesn't matter, you know, it, 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 you know we shouldn't feel, I mean, I, I really want to see new uh i want to see new films that that have that same kind of effect on me i mean i've not closed the door on anything um even after the the zach uh what's his name um who did man of steel and what I, I, I can't get i can't get past that zach watts's name is my favorite uh way we to describe that man yeah. <laughs> We Have haven't you spoken to anybody yet who said anything well, positive you know, about this. But I, about I this so minute. wanted to, you know, because I, I when I watched yeah. Superman yeah. Returns, I was like, wow, you know, great, great job, guys. But you know, you you didn't really pass the test. You know, you you, you threw you threw yeah. a lot of things in our general direction. Uh, when I say our general direction, I mean our yeah. generation, our fandom generation. Yeah. You know, you teased a lot of that, but you didn't come through. But then, you know, to take the concept and, and, and then twist it in such a fashion that, that they did later, I was just like, wow, okay, well, you've you've really gone backwards here. And I was so looking forward to Man of Steel. Everything had, everything seemed to be in place for that. There was, yeah. on paper, there seemed to be no excuse whatsoever that this couldn't, you know, take it to another level. I knew it wasn't going to be the Reeve uh, quadrilogy and who wanted it to be because, you know, that time has passed and we'll always have Raiders. But, you know... Uh, to you know to do something like that to their character and you know a lot of folks that are fans of it say that you know they, he's, he's expanded the universe and he's expanded the mythology and he's he's given the character more layers but i don't i don't find that at all i agree do you know if i can just chip in a little bit what i think some of it is is and like you said there rob 
when you described the, the, the new Batman film, you described it as the Robert Pattinson Batman film. When I think of Batman Begins, when Batman Begins was coming out, it was, what, 2005, so I was 21, and it was Christian Bale as Batman. When I saw the Michael Keaton Batman movie... It was just Batman. It was just yeah. Batman. And when I saw Christopher Reeve, it was Superman. I didn't know who Christopher Reeve was. I didn't know who Michael Keaton was. It was Superman, and it was Batman. And I think because that is such an impactful experience that when you go forward it's not the same it's not the same because it's not your yeah. batman and it's not your superman it's other actors playing those parts whereas somewhere in your subconscious i think i still think when i think batman i think of michael keaton's yeah. batman as being the actual batman and the rest of them being imitators the same way i would think about it with christopher reeve yeah now, i i i almost agree the, the uh, yeah i i think that's an that's an extremely well-made point. The only thing I would say is I grew up with a litany of Batman. So for me, I was already used to the idea of multiple actors playing Batman. So when Christian Bale came along, I was like, oh, well, this is the, this is going to be the next Batman and he's going to be the best one ever. And uh, but yeah. no, I, I, I think I I almost completely agree with what you said. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Martin, can we talk a little bit about Supermania 78, um, your sure. fantastic yes. website and how that came about? How what, what made you set that up and how did that come about? Well, I, I was such a, a rank amateur, really, with it when I look back at it now. But, you know, you've got to start somewhere. Uh, I just kind of I, I'd accumulated a, a, what I thought was a really good and interesting collection um, over the years. And what I'd found was, is that, you know, as, you know, internet built up, I mean, I'm going back as far as like the Superman cinema website run by a, a good friend of mine. Uh, and, you know, from, launching from the debates from there, I'd, 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 in the message boards and stuff, I'd throw pictures up and say, have you ever seen this? And, you know, so many people hadn't seen the material that I'd managed to cobble together over years. So I just thought, well, let's, let's kick off a, a site. Um, and I call it Supermania because, you know, it, that spoke for itself. You know, there was, there was nothing else I could have called it, basically. And all I did was I, I just showcased a piece of uh, Europe, specifically, if I could, European memorabilia or anything that came from, from this country, um, as opposed to anything that uh, our friends in the US were doing. Because I thought, well, what's the point in repeating that? Because everybody's seen that. And uh, everyone's, everyone's seen that, seen that stuff. Um, but, you know, a lot of the stuff, you know, like silly things like clippings and, and vintage news uh, papers and all that kind of stuff, I would slowly build it up and build it up and build it up. And uh, I just got to the point where, you know, stuff was finding me as opposed to me finding it. Yeah. And, you know, that's when the website kind of exploded, really, and became its own thing. And, you know, I'm, I mean, immensely proud of it. I mean, it's 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 simplistic compared to like where, you know, some of the websites are that cover Superman now. But it's kind of like I've always thought of it. I've always kind of try to make it like the thinking fans website you know yeah. st stuff that, that people will look at and go oh wow i didn't know that because well it, it, i could have just thrown pictures up or in galleries and just walked away from it but i thought well there are stories here um and uh you know i i, I found that i got better at writing them as time went on and just uh you know because the, the it was just all it was was just the results of my research and i have some fascinating things you know and you know corrobor yeah. corroborating them with various other fans and whatnot and that's how, you know, I found out, that's how I kind of became a, the kind of, I don't know, ambassador for Superman 4, because, you know, there was a lot more of that information that nobody had shared, that nobody particularly cared about. And it was just landing in my lap. And I was going, guys, have you seen this? Guys, have you seen this? What about this revelation? And, you know, and to find out that, you know, it had the best of intentions to begin with and ended up being like a Roger Corman film. Is, that journey is, is mm. fascinating so to me. 
you have kind of become a, a, a bit of a celebrity um, within the Superman fan community. Um, I mean, you really have. I mean, I've spoken to you a couple of times there when I had questions about items or questions about things or asked you to help me put me point me in the right direction. Um, and you've been so generous with your time and, and so kind with your time. Um, how does that make you feel, though? Do you, do, you, do you feel that way that you're you're you've become very well known within the Superman fan community? Well, I'm, I, I can't help but be flattered by that. But for really, I mean, for anybody that gets in touch, I have all the time in the world because if you have interest, genuine interest in the subject, of course I want to share it with you. You know, I mean, there's no, first of all, there's no point keeping anything to myself. Second of all, you know, if you have a question, chances are I'll be able to answer it. Third of all, if there's some memorabilia or if there's something that you want to know specifically, then, you know, chances are I've got that too. So, you know, I really... I really want to share the love with it. And especially in light of the fact that, you know, Warner Brothers have got this uh, this extended cut, this 134-minute version that we're all dying to see. And, you know, yeah. the, I think the more that we talk about the subject, the, the better chance of uh, um, it seeing like one day we can start all this again then. I, mean, I say start all this again. Actually, it will close the, the book on the subject, but I don't think it'll do that. I think it'll blow it wide open again. Um that 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 kind of semi answers my next question is do you think it, it, we will see the 134 minute cut of superman 4 i do um i remain positive i remain uh totally supportive of it i don't think there's any kind of well you you've seen the kind of um response that the snyder cut uh, for justice league got um you know and regardless of what you think of the material i mean the the it's the the passion of those fans and they got what they wanted and i you know i couldn't be happier for them because i know how that feels the last time i felt that was when the donna cut was released the donna cut of superman 2 which were to even to this day is the most incredible thing i mean that's the first thing that's the first kind of uh time Fan that that happened that kind of yeah thing. that's the first very first time yeah. that happened i'm so proud of that i was a very little part of that back in the day um, but with this, you know, this is the kind, this is the final thing. There is nothing after this. This is the remainder of Christopher Reeve's legacy. And, you know, there is plenty of footage of him in it. And we just need to see the, the yeah. finished picture. It is not a finished film. I, you know, any time that somebody tries to trash it in front of me, which happens quite a lot, you know, as you can imagine. I, I, and the, the crucial difference between Superman 4 and the Snyder Cut is it literally is ready to go. It, it won't cost $30 million to, nah. to release Superman nah. 4. Yeah, and I've said that. You know, it, it, it's kind of like, well, what would you like to see done? And my response is not a damn thing. Just exact, Nothing. just, you know, just leave it. You know, don't don't spend thousands of dollars trying to, you know, trying to restore it or whatnot. You know, the, the Blu-ray that's already out shows you the kind of quality that, uh, that it is. But... You know, it's it's a, it, by now it's a, it's a curio like the Donnacut was, and it, it's just it's fueled by absolute curiosity about you know how uh, how it would have turned out, you know what the actual uh, test run print was, um, which according to all parties was was that much better, uh, except uh, the test audience that uh, all walked out and started beating each other with popcorn boxes. And <laughs> <laughs> um, just before we move on to the the main topic of the the um, episode, um, Martin, myself. Robert's talking off mic. We were wondering, have you been reading the Superman seventy uh, eight comic book? What a joy that is! I mean, Torres and uh, Vendetti just hand on heart, boys. You know, I've I've been waiting for this so long. I mean, it, it was kind of like it was one of those, a, a bit like you know, the release of four that you just thought, well, you know what? It's such a good idea. It's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, it, it's yeah. so good. 
you know, and then, you know, to, to do it as a double whammy with Batman 89 as well, which I'm also a huge fan of, you know, the Burton films, how could yeah. you not be, you know, and I just think that, you know, it, it's kind of like they've, you know, the creatives at DC have sat and they've listened to these kind of discussions that we're having and they've gone, okay, boys, we, we can't do it any other way than having people that love it. We can't just have yeah. any old writer. We can't just have any old yeah. artist. We need people that, that love the topic and love the subject and we need to set, just cut them loose. And I think that's what they've done. It beggars belief that it's, it's taken as long as it has to, to put out a super a Superman 78 um, era uh, comic book set, a comic book set in that, in that universe. Like, even even toys wise, like a line of of six or you know seven inch action figures, modern day for collectors, Lex Luthor, um, Lois Lane, Superman, Clark Kent, Perry, all that kind of stuff. Like it, it beggars belief that the, that that kind of hasn't been done by now. No, well, they uh, it's it's getting it feels like it's getting closer all the time because you yeah. know we we have all these little individual releases of you know Mattel have done it and. Uh, uh, Necker have done it so you know and statues keep popping up but yeah you know it should have happened back in the day um no reason why it shouldn't have except for the licensing I think is still in a bit of a mess although I don't think that's particularly the case anymore I think the Superman 78 the comic is kind of like uh I think they kind of they fudged the likenesses a little bit so that they don't get in trouble. Is no, that no, like, no, Gene? no. I think they've I think they've got everything now. I think I think Warner Brothers do have uh, access to absolutely everything. So that being the case, I would expect you know kind of like when uh, when they got the rights back from Fox to do Batman sixty six, and then there was an absolute avalanche of merchandising associated with that. You know yeah. how how much would we love to see that? You know an avalanche of yeah. Superman the movie kind of merchandising ever so if they if they do manage to finally get the the rights to do the original puzo script and then we can get a comic adaptation of one and two um you know a, a, a complete volume of all of those plus the, the 78 would be that's that's dream come true type stuff for me my, my my honest dream would be i would love to see a dc original animated movie set in the superman uh, 78 universe that would be akin to the batman 60 now i know it, it's different because adam west was in actually starred in those movies and, and voiced yeah, that character yeah. so i know there's you know it's it's a little bit different but i i would love to see more um more of that kind of thing more film set in that universe be be the animated or not you know um, it would just be amazing, I think. Um, but the comic book is—I've been blown away by it. It's—it's—I've really enjoyed what I've read of it so far. Um, yeah, I think if 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 there was one specific thing I'd like them I'd like them to make an animated movie of that they could set in that world. There was a—I'm I'm sure you know this, Martin. There was a really good uh, Superman. I think it was Superman Five or Superman Reborn. It was one or the other. It was one that Christopher Reeve was actually going to star in, and it involved the Bottle City of Candor. And the movie ends with Superman and Lois flying up into the atmosphere and smiling at the camera and they get married at the end. And I remember thinking this would be a great kind of like final Superman movie. It leaked on Superman cinema. Uh, I want to say like 10 years ago or something. This script, it was written by, I think it was written by Carrie Bates. And it was the last kind of script the Salkines were involved with before they they briefly got the rights back or something after Superman 4 and it was the last script they were involved with before it was passed on and I read it a couple of years ago and it's it's a delightful little script it's not it's not amazing but like it, it hits all the right notes and Brainiac is in it in the bottle city of Candor and Lois is in it quite a bit and they get married at the end and it's lovely and I'd love them to do an animated movie of that. I don't yeah. know. Have you read that one, Mark? Well, you're talking about the first draft of Superman Reborn by Carrie Bates, who was a writer for the Superboy TV series. 
And allegedly, yes. allegedly, this was the last script that uh, Ilya passed over to Christopher Reeve to say, we want you back for this. Because, you know, the, the great news was, is that at that point, the, the rights, because Canon had folded, uh, the rights had reverted back yes. to the Sarkines and they wanted to give it one last go. Um, and despite all of his uh, kind of uh, interviews to the contrary, Christopher Reeve was like, yep, but it's got to be, he said, before I have any involvement with this, it's got to be of the standard of the first two. Otherwise, you can count me out because, you know, I, yeah, I yeah. cannot go through. You know, my name was all over four and it was, you know, it was it was a mess from start to finish. But, you know, I trust you guys. You know, if, if you're going to, if anybody's going to do a, a decent Superman movie, it's the people that initiated them in the first place. So, yeah, I'm along for the ride. And then for, you know, development hell, these things, it, it didn't turn out. But yeah. um, he... There is a, there is an interview clip of him saying that, isn't there? There's like a British uh, morning talk show where he says, "Oh yeah, the Sawcoins uh, have asked me back or something." And I'm, I'm, am I wrong? No, you're not that? wrong. It's, it sporadically he said it in a few talk shows in America, but there's a video. There's a vid, okay. there's a clip that I'm still after to this day. From he was on the Big Breakfast and he was being interviewed on the bed <laughs> with Paulie Yates, and his wow. actual Paul yeah, Yates. and his actual words were, "The script I've read isn't too bad." Um, but you know, it, it, that's, the, <laughs> that's exactly how I describe it. It's, it's not too exactly, bad. Like those are his words exactly. And he said, um, I just want one final big knockabout picture to finish on. Those were his words. And if anybody out there has that clip, I, I'm really, really dying to see it again. Because to segue into the, the main topic of, of tonight's episode, which is the Supergirl 1984 film, um, Chris obviously got cold feet in relation to that movie, which is well documented that he kind of pulled out um of this of 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 his cameo in the in the Supergirl movie, um not too long before they started filming, which kind of and we'll get into it, which kind of ended up causing a, a couple of problems for the shoot and stuff as they kind of tried to fill those gaps. Um, but your just to get into the the Supergirl, I, I know exactly how you feel about uh, the quest for peace, but what's your feeling on Supergirl nineteen eighty four? Well, um. Do you know what? Uh, it, it's similar to my feelings on four, really, because it, it's another one of those pictures where you, even though it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't have much going for it as a film. All the components are there, and yeah. it's so evident, you know, from the the production value and you know the the quality of the casting, and you know the way the way that it's shot, you know, it's beautiful to look at. I mean, on Blu-ray, it's it's unreal. Yeah. Um, but you know, it it just you know, it, I mean. The, the script is, I, I think it's probably kind of a victim of the kind of time that it was made. I mean, 1984 is kind of framed by pictures like Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and Krull. And so there's this, you know, the, there's a, a thread of fantasy that kind of permeates the whole thing. And on paper, the thread of fantasy would, you, you would think would suit uh, a character like Supergirl, but it just doesn't work in that universe. It, you know, she, it would be so much better to put somebody that had the kind of naivete in her portrayal that Helen Slater did and yeah. st stick her in something yeah, contemporary, you know, something that, you know, far more kind of sinister than than magic. It just kind of fell apart at, at, at that stage, I, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because, like, to be fair, magic could work if with with the right script. You know, you know, magic. Superman is vulnerable to magic. You know, I I think the original premise yeah. of the whole film was that it was that um, Selena, the witch, in you know, kind of uh, trapped uh, Christopher Reeve's Superman in the Phantom Zone, and it was up to Supergirl to save him. Um, 
Oh right, okay. I was going to ask. Yeah, that, so I, I've done. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. But we'll 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 go through some facts. I I, I presume. Like, do you think that Supergirl nineteen eighty four is a well known film? Do you think listeners, the majority of listeners, will have known about it? I presume. Like for our generation, even for our generation, it's kind of like it was always the Superman kind of offshoot that was in the video store when I was growing up it was you know there was the four movies and then you know three rows down two rows over there was Supergirl and you yeah. kind of get that at the odd time yeah. but um, I, I don't think it's as like for, for the very first theatrical super you know superhero feminine superhero um, it definitely doesn't get the recognition that it, it, it deserves for that alone I don't think I, th- I feel like people are aware of it by cultural osmosis but uh, you know Seven out of ten people will say they've never seen it before. I, that, that, that's how I like. I feel like I was aware that it existed as a child, but it was only, you know, when I finally saw it that I was like, "Oh, okay, this is the Supergirl movie." Yeah, you know, they got like pe- people are aware that there is a Supergirl, and there must have been a movie about it at some stage. And and to be, and to be fair to the to the iterations of of Supergirl and, and Superman that have come afterwards, I mean, they they have. Um, Tip the hat to the film by by casting Helen Slater oh, yeah. in subsequent versions. She she she's been in uh, Smallville. She's been in um, uh, Supergirl, the, the CW uh, Supergirl show, um, with a with a pretty big part playing um, Kara's mother in it. You know, so it, it has been acknowledged. And and not only that, the Supergirl TV show, the Omega Hedron was a pretty big plot device in one of the seasons. And I think as recently as was it, it was either this season or last season, Supergirl spent most of the season in the Phantom Zone. Which was clearly a nod to the movie as well. So they they've kind of tipped their their hat to the to the movie quite a bit, um, as well as just casting Helen Slater. I don't I don't know if anybody else from the movie has appeared in the show, but um, yeah, I I was impressed to see that. I I actually had to look up has the Omega Hedron been on the Supergirl <laughs> show, but I but it has, and I think it even looks a bit similar, which is pretty cool. Um, will I run through some facts about the movie before we kind of get into the meat of it? So Supergirl, the movie, uh, released here in Ireland anyway. Uh, let me just see here. On July 27th, 1984. So it was about three months before I was born. Rob, you were still a twinkle in your mother's eye. <laughs> um, directed by, now I'm going to get this wrong, uh, Geno Schwartz, who is uh, known to a lot of uh, Smallville fans. He, he directed um, quite a few Smallville episodes. He also directed Somewhere in Time, starring Eberlo Christopher Reeve, uh, back in 1980. Oh, wow. um, and Jaws 2 is his other big his other big yeah. credit that he, he directed Jaws 2, uh, written by David O'Dell, who is also known for the Masters of the Universe movie and, as you said, um, uh, Martin Dark Crystal. He actually wrote Dark Crystal uh, as well. Uh, cinematographer, and again, like the cinematography, I'm going to talk about this later on. I think the cinematography, like y- you can't, deny for the most part that a lot of the special effects shots in, in this movie are some of the best of the series especially the flying um, and you know yeah. it's, it's full of colour um, the cinematographer is Alan Humes um, the runtime there it depends there's a couple of different cuts of the film so you've got the US domestic cut which is an hour and 45 minutes you've got the director's cut which is 2 hours and 18 minutes and you've got the international cut which is 2 hours and 4 minutes I think that's the one that I viewed it came out on the, the, the DVD in 2000 um, the budget for the movie was 35 million dollars the world gross was 14.3 so it didn't even make half of its uh, of its budget back uh, it was released on DVD in circa 2000 uh, 50,000 copies were, were released and then in the year of Superman coming up to that hard push they did for Superman related material in 2006 uh, they released uh, they released the DVD again um, Blu-ray then came out in 2018 
Um, and the cast, I mean, it's a serious cast, guys. Like when you when you when you go through it, and it's 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 like Helen Slater, obviously an unknown at the time, who's superb in the film. Um, she's in other movies like uh, The Secret to My Success and um, uh, City Slickers, and uh, she did other films afterward. But she's great in this movie. You've got Faye Dunaway. You know, Chinatown's Faye Dunaway. You've got Peter O'Toole, uh, Zoltar. You've got a small cameo by Mio Farrow from Rosemary's Baby. You've got uh, Peter Cook, obviously, as Nigel, who's famous in the UK and over here in Europe, probably more so than he was in, in, in the States. Uh, you've got a cameo, well, more than a cameo, really, from Mark McClure, who's the only um, um, character, the only actor from the Superman series to, to transfer over to the Supergirl. I mean, he does an incredible job of, of looking off into the distance perplexed in this movie, <laughs> I have to say. And we've got Hart Bochner, who is Ellis from Die Hard, um, plays a, a huge part in this movie as the as the love interest. <laughs> he, he also has another uh, really uh, interesting DC connection, Alan. Do you know what that is? He did some voice work in Batman the Animated Series. He's Artie. I I, th- I think it's Artie in Batman: Mask of the Phantasm. He's he's the guy who uh, betrays Andrea's father to um, the the mobsters who end up killing him. Spoiler. <laughs> but uh, he he's he's actually really really good Arguably in that movie. The best like, he's got a, ever made. Well, he he's got a really really big part in it, and he's really really good in it. So um, he I I, w- I would make the argument that his his best DC performance perhaps isn't in Supergirl. Do you, do either of you know what the what the taglines? There's two taglines for the movie. Do either of either of you know? Uh, I'm gonna hazard a guess that very, one of them very, is first one is 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 poor. Second one is to be fair. I'm gonna guess that one of them is you will believe a girl can fly. Negative. The first one is oh, wow. very generic. It's just the legend begins. And it should be kind of dot, 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 and ends because there's no sequels. But the other one, which I actually really like, is Adventure Runs in the Family. And I think that's, oh, that's, that's a, a good, good tagline. Yeah. Whoever, whoever came up with that one made their money's worth. Um, but yeah, so let's get into it. I, ha- I have some trivia facts we can talk about as well. Um, if you want to get into some trivia about... about can, can, I, can, I, can I just ask, Alan, just mm-hmm. going back to another thing you said. Did you say it grossed $14 million worldwide? Yeah, 35. The, 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 the budget was 35 and it grossed 14.3. I think it only grossed um, Martin, $5 million in the US. Martin, you'll know this. Am I right in saying Superman 4 grossed $17 million? Or am I wrong? Um, that's I, I thought it was I thought it was more like fifteen, but I don't know if, if that's you. Just because you've said that, I can't remember. It, it, it was in the teens for sure. I, I I remember reading what Supergirl grossed, and I remember thinking Superman Four grossed more than that and cost less. Oh, yeah. So in <laughs> fact, Superman Four was more of a success than this. No, movie. Do you think I'm getting confused? I think it, I think Superman Four was made for fifteen. I think the budget was cut to fifteen. Oh, wow. 15 and Supergirl got 35 million. 35 million dollars, yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's, Jeez, a, there's a difference. There's another tagline for Supergirl, you know, one right. really less common, and it's called uh, Once Upon a Time Warp. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> true, true story. <laughs> Um, I have some trivia about the I have some trivia about the movie as well. Um, originally, um, in the when they were producing the Superman three movie, when they were coming up with the concept for it, uh, Supergirl was going to appear in Superman three alongside Brainiac. There was a whole plot about Brainiac had basically taken Kara before the planet exploded, and Superman was going to save her, but that kind of fell apart. Um, Christopher Reeve, J- just just on that, Alan, that that whole because I've read that story treatment. In that story treatment, Supergirl falls in love with Superman. Are they cousins, though? And Brainiac, 
Bra- no, they're yeah. not cousins. Okay. But Brainiac becomes jealous of Superman, and that's the that's where their animosity comes from. It's a really weird story. I think Elias Salkine may have written it himself. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. Um, Salkine did. Uh, that was his pitch for the third one, which was uh, to all uh, by all accounts thrown straight out the window. Yeah, and and I I often when people say oh the the computer in Superman three was supposed to be Brainiac I was like no I don't think that was ever the case and if there's any confusion go back and read the story treatment because it's very very different. My yeah. head canon that you that know? computer is always is always is some variation of Brainiac in my in my own fan head head canon I I don't know about you but that's that's <laughs> those are the dots that I join when it comes to Superman three because as you well know Rob I am a huge fan of Superman three I'll die on that rock you know I always say it um, with a, a couple of small edits that could be. A really really great film um christopher reeve was originally cast uh, to appear in the supergirl movie um now originally the plot the, the 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 long the short of the plot that was that being vulnerable to magic he was going to be there to uh, welcome supergirl to earth and then basically that selena was going to trap him in the phantom zone and it was going to be up to supergirl to save him um which was the original plot now the fact that christopher kind of pulled out of the project i don't think and and maybe maybe you know more than i would martin i i don't think it was too long before shooting that he actually just he pulled the plug on it and said no i'm not uh, i'm not going to appear so the consequence of of this being so late in the day because it was um was that uh i don't know how much of david odell's original material was carried over into the final uh final script he was rewritten extensively as a result of Chris pulling out. Now, if you re- if you watch the uh, the making of Supergirl special, you'll have a you'll see the interview with Jeanne Schwab where he says uh, Chris didn't you know Chris didn't feel right about it, and I think that it goes a bit deeper than that because if you've read the the Odell script with Superman involved, it is awful. There is there is absolutely I mean super, the character of Superman himself contributes nothing to proceedings um, you know, and if anything he's, he's less than heroic because I, I, if I recall I'm, I'm sure he's he's struck by magic and he's kind of useless and dying throughout most of the picture and if I know anything about uh, you know Chris's perception of the character he just wouldn't have he wouldn't have gone for that and I think that combined with the fact that you know he just he was basically finished his contract with Superman three. He'd done. He felt like he'd done everything he could with the character. He was just like, you know what? This yeah, this isn't the kind of way that I'd want to sign off yeah. on him, and therefore I'd rather not contribute. And I think he made absolutely the right decision. But having said that, the film suffered horrendously for it, and it would have been because a bigger hit had he have uh, contributed. Because as a result I, of him pulling out, there there are plot holes, and we'll get to them. There are plot holes in the film directly as a result of, of Christopher not being there. Um, things like yeah. how does Selena know about the Phantom Zone at all? Um, how does how does Kara know about Clark Kent? You know where does she, you know how, the whole situation of her getting the suit? Honestly, lads, I I can I can I can work with all of those. Like Selena's a witch, fair enough. Maybe she just knows about the Phantom Zone. You know, Kara could have been getting tra- transmissions from Earths. Maybe that's how she knows. The, my biggest problem with the film is why does she just randomly go to school for no yeah. reason? And I feel like that when I was watching it last night, I was like, oh, I bet that was a thing that when Superman was in the movie, he was going to say, okay, you go to this school while I figure out what's going on. And that's how they're going to explain that. And when I was watching it, that there's that brief radio broadcast where they say, oh, Superman's gone on a peacekeeping mission to another world or something i i was like okay i bet what the original story was kara comes to earth 
to find Superman to get help because the Argo City is breaking down or something. Superman travels to Argo City and Kara is waiting there. And while she's there, some other trouble takes place and she has to save the day. And I just assumed that that's what the story was. And the fact that I assumed that makes me think, couldn't they not have written a script that Christopher Reeve would have been happier with? Because as you say, Martin, Christopher Reeve didn't want to spend the whole movie, you know, sick and dying in the Phantom Zone. Well, then just don't do that. Do something easier where he could just be away and come back at the end of the movie. Like, I don't know. It seems so evident now, doesn't it? But I was thrown from the from the from the mo- from the from the opening scene because I was like, "Well, hang on a second, because Argo City and you know Earth, where my cousin went, what kind of this wasn't the kind of uh, timeline is dictated by Superman the movie? No, no. Where where was Argo City? I mean, inner what space, is America. inner space? What is outer space? It was never really kind of it was never made explicit. Um, you know, the whole business about how she managed to get from inner space to earth yeah. Yeah, it looks visually spectacular but it made it didn't make any sense in the context of what we'd already kind of what was canon as far as we were concerned and so it was on the back foot from that point onwards even though the production design was beautiful got all the best british talent involved people like simon ward and mia farrow as you mentioned yeah. and peter o'toole who just chews the whole thing up from start to finish yeah. um so yeah again it, it's 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 bewildering how it didn't kind of hit every mark that it should have done given the uh the company i i I have to say just just to go back to the positive though and i know you alluded to it as well alan i was kind of 15 minutes in and i was going oh god am i really gonna have to slog through all this but then the really great special effects started coming at me and i was kind of like very quickly into the movie i was kind of like okay, maybe if I just turn my brain off and just look at these special effects, I'll have a good time. Yeah. And I did. Because as you said, Alan, there is genuinely some staggering wire It's the best flight of the like, series as far as I'm concerned. I, I think it might actually be. Like there's a scene where Supergirl is landing into Midvale and there's, it must be like a six second wire work shot where Helen Slater is like coming into frame. And I think she flies into the tunnel and comes out of it on the yeah. other end in her civilian. Ooh. And I was like, geez, there's actually nothing in the Reeve movies as good as that. Like, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. by by 84, they'd really figured it out. I mean, much of the wire work has to be attributed to the late Bob Harmon. You have to mention him every time yeah. you talk about the the flying, the live flying, because he, I mean, the, I still think, even if you haven't seen the film, most people will be familiar with the, the flying ballet sequence. Yeah. Um, yeah. which yeah. you know the, the first scenes where Helen is you know learns flying if you like it's a really cute scene in its own right the you know the discovery of the, the powers and whatnot and as, when they start really throwing it around on the rig and you know you can it, it's something you couldn't replicate but, you know, the way the wind catches her hair yeah. when she comes down into that into that loop you know I defy any filmmaker these days to kind of conjure that kind of sheer magic out of thin air the way that they did um so yeah again so much to enjoy because i mean they were really top of their game at this point um it was a shame the whole team got disbanded before the the next picture that's how you know that's how bad it was yeah and i i I do like i i do think the movie focuses a little bit too much on her being this sort of you know innocent child discovering the world i think there's a couple of scenes that veer into kind of creepy territory with that but as you say, that scene where she's kind of learning that she can fly at the start is so well done. And I think one of the things the Superman movies don't do, just by virtue of him being a grown man who, you know, isn't youthful, like, it, is they, they don't really explore that thing of him discovering that he can fly 
the way you know I, I know they do it in Man of Steel I, I don't think it's great but in Hook they really do a lot of that in the Robin Williams movie Hook you see him kind of dancing around and he's kind of doing flips and everything and when I was watching this I was like this is what it would be like if a girl like a teenage girl discovered that she could fly like she's doing little hops and she's kind of hovering and she's doing flips around and things like that and it kind of captures that sort of childlike sense of oh this the, you know these are the things you would do yeah. and I, I i liked it for that even even though there's kind of other problems i had with that, that aspect of it where she's kind of i i, I feel like helen slater is playing a, ca- a character who's you know seven years younger than she was yeah she's, she she is she she does come across very childlike now you can you can put that down to the fact that she's maybe very protected and sheltered in argo city or something but yeah it is it's she's she's kind of 16 going on seven in, in some of the scenes <laughs> did you know um did you know guys that demi moore was originally cast to play lucy lane and pulled oh, out right. to star in saint elmo's fire yeah, I knew Brooke Shields was uh, just picked Helen Slater to the post for the main role, uh, oh. and Maureen Teefy played Lucy Lane in the in the fun, in the finished picture, didn't she? But uh, yeah, from Grease Two, that's the only other film I know her from. My yeah. wife is a huge fan of Grease Two for some really? reason. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, I really like, like her. I was like, that's I, Lucy I, Lane. That's Lucy Lane. She was like, who? I was yeah. like, don't mind. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I thought I thought Teefy was terrific. I thought she did a great job. I I actually think she is yeah, terrific. She is. And t- t- two things I'll say. My girlfriend was watching it with me and she was like, oh, I can really see Demi Moore in the role. Can you? And I was like, what? And she was like, oh, yeah, Demi Moore. I was like, really? And she, she had looked it up on Wikipedia. Anyway, so props to my girlfriend, Saoirse, for out Superman triviaing me for once. The other thing I was going to say, that there's an interesting Brooke Shields connection there, Alan. He, Dean Cain. Uh, uh, Dean, Dean Cain used to date Brooke Shields, yeah. Mm. So, I don't think that Demi Moore could have really... I, I, have, I have no trouble at all believing that Maureen TV could be... Margot Kidder's sister. Yeah. I would really, really struggle with the idea of Demi Moore because she was knockout back then. Have you seen the footage, Martin, the, the footage of Helen Slater in the alternate costume? Oh, the screen test. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was Very uh, interesting. It was only really recently sold. They, they, I don't know where they discover these things, but um, they'd, they'd, they'd managed to find that uh, test uh, screening costume out. Much more um, true to the to the comic book version of the era with the headband and the S kind of the cape yeah, attached to the S. I think they went the right route, to be honest, with what, oh they, God, what they thank, did. Yeah. Thank God they didn't they didn't go with it because it, you know there's there's there's, a, there's filmic yeah. uh, comic book costumes and then there's kind of stuff that flies in its face. Um, and you know they they were very very wise to. I mean, it's just to to put it. I mean, they they went so much effort to put it in the same continuity as the Superman yeah, pictures, yeah. and then with everything else, they kind of did their own thing. So. Because the suit is actually the suit that they do use is is a beautiful suit. It's a beautiful Supergirl suit. It's, it's, it's very really elegant. Nice, yeah. it's, it's it's you know it's it's not over sexualized or anything, which is something I'd be worried about with with newer versions and that that they might go down that road. And I know the Supergirl, the TV series, kind of um, took the Mickey out of that in the pilot episode where she was trying on all these ridiculous kind of comic book accurate costumes, and the, you know you yeah. could see that they weren't practical and stuff. The thing with the costume, I'm so glad they didn't go with that costume because every time i see that costume i just think of supergirl dead in superman's arms on the crisis of uh, infinite yeah. earths yeah alex ross did a, so an update of that recently it was very good actually used the likenesses didn't he? yeah he, he did yeah 
But but if if they had done that, I would only ever be able to think of that while watching the movie. I should, so I'm glad they did. I should probably mention as well that you know, having I went to prop store a couple of years back and actually got to you know have a good look at the uh, the original Helen Slater Supergirl costume, or at least one of the one of oh, the, wow. one of the tunics. That was absolutely fascinating. I couldn't get over how small it was. It was it was literally a bathing suit. That's all it was. It was so so tiny, and you know the fact that the the air shield that they'd uh, they'd put in it was so small that they couldn't use the same techniques as they had for the superman costume where they stitched it underneath to make it you know to make it smooth they just literally had to touch top stitch it they had no other no other option and it was fabulous just to just to see that kind of uh detail how did it how did it fit though martin oh well that's another story <laughs> and i think that uh your listeners might be fascinated with that. It might be something. We'll talk something about that off mic. Something they have to pay, yeah, yeah. have to pay for to hear. I should think. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the synopsis um, of the film is: after losing a powerful orb, Kara Zor-El, Superman's cousin, comes to Earth to retrieve it, and instead finds herself up against a wicked witch. Wicked witch. So, do you want to take yeah. it, Rob? We, we go from the start, and you can kind of go through the. Yeah. Path. So, so essentially, we we start on Argo City, which is a uh, an offshoot of Krypton. I guess in in quote unquote inner space, and Cara Cara Zorel, uh, son of or, or daughter of Zorel and Alura, encounters her uh, kind of beatnik friend uh, Zaltar, played by Peter Cook, who is I guess building a tree with a magic wand that sort of looks a little bit suggestive. And Kara, uh, he shows her the the power source for this, which is the Omega Hedron, which is powering the entire city. Yeah, it's um, probably not a... Which, which he has, quote-unquote, bothered. Probably borrowed. not a great idea to take the, the number one power source, you know, powering your entire civilization, and just, like, there's at one point where he kicks it on the ground. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I've written down uh, Argo City is, is basically like the San Francisco of Krypton, and not in a good way. It, it, it's um, kind of like another version uh, every, of that, that city from the end of the never-ending story, you know, the... the the, the mountain at the end of it always reminds me of that. It, it's everyone is kind of dressed a lot more like a kind of a hippie flower child yeah. than the people we saw in Superman, the movie where they were dressed in these very kind of regal sort of glowing white robes. Um, so through no fault of her own, really, Kara creates this monster that uh, escapes out of the the kind of outer shield of Argo City, which penetrates the, the core. And then the Omega Hedron is flung into into outer space uh, and it lands on Earth, and she makes the decision to climb into a spacecraft and travel to Earth to find it. Um, one po- just a interesting point about the the spaceship she climbs into. Um, a lot of people have drawn comparisons between Superman's ship in Superman the movie and a a sperm cell. You guys have heard that before, I'm sure. No, <laughs> that is that is a new one on me. No. <laughs> okay, so a, a lot of people that I've read some really interesting essays that have drawn kind of um, you know lots of kind of sexualized imagery in Superman the movie, and you know a lot of a lot of people will say that the, the ship in Superman the movie looks like a sperm cell, and when it when it's a pro, when it's entering into Earth's atmosphere, that it looks like it's about to inseminate an egg. Okay, it's I, oh, I promise okay. you, people, there are people who think this. But what I find fascinating about the Supergirl ship, and my girlfriend said this as well, it looks like an egg. It does look like an egg. <laughs> it does so the male like one looks like a sperm and the female one looks like an egg. We can edit this out if you want, Alan. <laughs> no, she, it, she it, travels to... Leave it in purely by virtue of what a fascinating uh, topic. And it, it, it could be argued, couldn't it? Especially the uh, 
the starship uh, as it um, enters the atmosphere. I can see the symbolism there, but you know, there's a there's a whole you know Christian allegory I, that you can attach to Superman that goes back oh, yeah. decades. Exactly. Yeah. No, I I I feel like uh, I I'll buy into the symbolism in Superman the movie. I'm I'm less sure about how definite the symbolism was here, but. She, she arrives on Earth. Um, the Omega Hedron is found by an evil witch, Alan, as you said, named Selena. Fade on away, yeah. Who, uh, who you, uh, Fade on away, who uses it for nefarious purposes. Uh, she tries to, I guess she tries to put a love spell on, a, on a, a local gardener named Ethan. And Supergirl gets embroiled in this plot to make Ethan fall in love with Selena. And uh, meanwhile, she's going to school for some reason and going to Popeye's Chicken with Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, her, her world uh, is, is uh, I think that the quote from, from Peter O'Toole or one of the other Argonians is that the um, the world, their planet is going to die in a couple of days. And, and uh, Cara decides yes. that she's going to take the time to enroll in school for no apparent, <laughs> for no apparent reason. <laughs> no apparent reason. Um, and she has this amazing, like she, she when she arrives on Earth, she goes from her... I presume Argonian is the term. I don't want to offend any Argonians who might be listening. Um, but she she changes from her her native clothing into her Supergirl suit. And now now I want to I want to ask about yeah. that. Uh, sorry, no, no, go ahead. It, it, but there's no explanation to it. She's just there's one shot of her in her normal clothing. Then there's one shot of her in her Supergirl suit, and she flies up out of the water, and she lands. And like we were saying, there's this beautiful beautiful scene where she kind of learns her powers and learns how to yeah. fly and she somehow uses her death ray heat vision to give flower to a li- uh, life to a flower and it's but it's very very it's very elegant is the word that I'd use for it it's, it's very elegant there's a great scene like you said earlier where she kind of flips and then she takes off and she kind of touches the water as she's going and she shoots off and then you, you switch from the wire work into the front projection stuff and it's it's really top notch um but Actually, my favorite, uh, my absolute favorite shot from the entire picture is the the cheapest thing that they did because they were when she actually arrives from inner space to earth, she comes out from the water. Yeah, if you remember, and I think they did so many tests with this to try and you know they I think they dragged poor Helen on the on the wire rig straight out of out of water and she looked like a wet mop as you would. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the the solution they came up with was they literally took a, a full length photograph of her, pasted it onto onto chipboard. And uh, that's what is remain. That's what's underneath the surface of the lake. Wow. And then they yank. If you watch carefully, you can see that it's just a cardboard cutter. It's it's it, they wow. get they get away with it because they do a fabulous jump cut to the live flying right just as it comes out. You see you see a shoot up, then it cuts to live, and you know the the the, the eye is completely fooled into the, into thinking that she's emerged from that water dry. It's the cleverest effect, old school British craftsmanship. Yeah, it's it's, it's a beautiful scene. It, 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 like mm. I said, elegant. It's just this natural elegance to it, and it's superb. But yeah, they don't really explain where the where the suit comes comes from, and then she has this uncanny. Well, go on. To be fair, I I I feel like when she's approaching the cockpit of the ship, you kind of it's similar to in Superman the movie, the way the baby is kind of crawling around in blankets that look not unlike the fabric mm. of the suit. You you do sort of see fabric in the cockpit of the ship, and I I I was sort of half looking out for clues. Yeah as to where the suit might come from. And I, I feel like maybe they were implying the same thing, that there was some kind of fabric in yeah. the ship that she well, created the suit from. The prevailing theory about that with the costumes, because obviously I'm, I'm, a, I'm freaky about the costumes, um, is that you know there's a line in the picture that says, uh, this isn't a costume, these are my clothes. And I think yes. that in the, in the very same essence as Superman the movie, I think that uh, that's the kind of uniform that they wear where 
when they're not at home, if you like. Yeah. It's kind of like the, the away kit, if for want of a really poor uh, comparison. So that's why it's the same thing. Um, I've never thought of it okay. like that. That's a great way of looking yeah. at it, actually. Um, so obviously, because on Krypton, you know, Superman wouldn't be wearing that that kind of gear. Mm. It's just because he's on Earth or, you know, he's in the inhabitants of Earth now. That That's that's the uniform. That's the, that's the whole point, I think, that they were trying to get across with giving the shield some relevance, you know, making it a family crest yeah. that carries over into Supergirl as well, because she's, she's obviously family. Um, therefore she would represent two. And that's the yeah. uniform that they use to represent on their, on different planets. That's interesting. Yeah. And that, that, that's actually to say a nice thing about Zack Snyder, that that's something they carried over to Man of Steel where the, the suit is like a, it's, it's, it's designed to be this thing that Kryptonian ambassadors wear on these planets that they go to. And that's why it's in the, the the ship for ten million years or whatever it is. Yeah, um, they never credited Ivan Blake, which they should have done. Yeah. So well, actually, actually, it was Marlon Brando's idea. Let me take that back. Puzo had written. Okay. Yeah, Puzo had written uh, the idea that uh, everybody should be wearing the Superman shield, and then Brando says, "No, I'd I'd rather wear it." And shouldn't it, shouldn't it represent? The family and they ran with the idea from there. That is, that's incredible. And it, what always makes me laugh is she has this great ability then to kind of change back into her regular clothing in kind of sections as she's walking through the woods. That's a great. It's, it's kind of like the Christopher Reeve uh, uh, when Christopher Reeve you know jumps out the window and he changes halfway down. It's it's kind of another version of that. I, I presume it's supposed yeah. to be some kind of super speed or whatever. But and yeah. th- th- this this is what I wanted to ask you specifically, Alan, because <clears throat> you took great issue with George Reeves just magically turning into Clark Kent behind a boulder in panic in the sky uh, in our previous uh, our listeners will remember alan getting really really incensed about that uh, so th- there's a scene I, I was, I, you're familiar fair, with to be fair i was more incensed at the fact of the scene where he's lying in bed as yeah. clark without his glasses and everybody's having a conversation with them and nobody notices that he's superman that was my big issue with that episode I, 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 are you a george reeves fan martin are you uh do you know what i can't say that i mean i, rem- I remember them being um they were screened in the uk uh, gosh, it must have been around the early eighties or so. So I, I'd never, I'd seen Christopher Reeve before. I'd seen George. I was kind of like, who's this old, who's this old man? Yeah. Um, <laughs> with his, you know, with his dishcloth cape. Um, but yeah. he, I, you know, th- there's a there's an inherent charm to that series. Um, it's very much a product of its time, the attitudes and you know everything else. But you know, it, it I think it, for for what it is, and obviously the money that they didn't have to kind of exploit it, I think they did a marvelous job. Yeah. And you know, I'm I'm yeah. glad. And it has that kind of legacy, and I'm glad that that, in a similar way to us with the movies, has you know has, has managed to kind of live on in the memories of everybody that grew up with it. Yeah, we're, we're we are big fans on the show, and there, there's an episode that we're it will it will be out by the time this episode goes out. We we, we covered uh, Panic in the Sky, the the episode of the George Reeves show where an asteroid is 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 about to hit Metropolis, and Superman travels up and he gets amnesia. And a bunch of crazy things happen. But th- there is a scene in that where Superman lands back on Earth, runs behind a boulder and emerges as with Clark amnesia. Kent. So he doesn't know he's Clark with, Kent. With amnesia. So he doesn't know he's Clark Kent. So it doesn't quite make sense as to how he's suddenly become Clark Kent. But I think Alan's problem with that was, where do his Clark Kent clothes come from? Does he have some... And I, there was this whole thing. But my problem with this Supergirl movie now is, where in the name of God does this school uniform <laughs> come from that she's never owned before ever? Yeah, it's 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 yeah. There's um again, it's something that's never really made explicit. I like the fact that in the movies they never kind of sought uh, an explanation because if you if you look at the Bronze Age comics, all the Kurt Swan art, they, he was really fond of doing these like sequences where he would start as Clark and you know through these like these streaks of motion, yeah. you'd see him jumping yeah. out of trousers and 
pulling open shirts and then sticking them in a pouch in the back of his cape. I don't think that was kind of, I don't think that was sophisticated enough for the films. It's, it's certainly something that Richard Donner wouldn't have endorsed, I don't yeah. think, because, you know, he'd, he'd like Kirsty, he'd be like, well, asking the practical questions or well, where does it go? So I've always thought of the, the especially the transformations in Superman. And uh, Alan, you made reference to that terrific shot that uh, Colin Chilvers was responsible yeah. for, where he jumps out of the Daily Planet window and yeah. his cape pops out. Yeah, that's a it's more like sh- more shape shifting kind of i think it's a dimensional thing i think he can he can switch between uh and it's kind of like you know they they hinted it in the dialogue as well in in when he's talking to uh lois in superman 2 and and she says well if it wasn't for him i wouldn't have met you and then she's like well he is you and you know it's kind of like he well he's a version of me yeah but you know he kind of runs concurrently with me but we kind of we're able to switch we're on, we're on. so there's there's all kinds of unanswered questions there that leave it to you to make up your own mind about how you, how you think that that would happen. Because, but I'm quite yes, happy to think it's a Kryptonian thing and we're never yeah. going to understand. Thanks very much. Because forgetting about the clothes, she also has the ability to change her hair colour and length of her hair, which is very impressive, I thought. Well, I, well I, again, so could Chris. He flipped his party yeah, over from true, Clark to True, he, true. So... I, do you know what I was gonna I was gonna tear that apart I was gonna say oh it's totally stupid that nobody recognizes her she actually does look considerably different she, with does, different hair. she does and I don't think I would I don't think I would be able to tell that it was the same person if I'd only met her you know two times as Jimmy Olsen does in this movie yeah yeah well um, you know, or, or Lucy Lane the proof of that I mean the, the stories I mean even made Roger Moore's biography that when Chris was shooting uh, in Pinewood, he would show up yes. and eat his dinner as Clark Kent and nobody would pay a blind bit of notice to him. And the minute he walked in in his Superman costume, all the waitresses used to faint. Yeah. So, yeah, it, but, like, it, there, there is something in that. The thing with Chris, like, and I, I always, like, that that unbelievable scene that I, I, that man should have been nominated for an Academy Award for that one scene alone in Superman the movie in Lois's apartment where she walks off and he takes off the glasses and he stands straighter and his voice changes and in that moment, any time that anybody has an issue with the whole glasses, you know, it's a stupid concept. It, it, it wouldn't work in real life. Just watch that scene because that is literally one man turning into another man by taking off his glasses and standing up, you know, a little bit straighter. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. it's all Chris. It's all Donna. It's all what they 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 knew they had to kind of unless people were going to laugh their way out of the cinema, they had to make these kind of, address these kind of issues that had always, you know, you talk about George disappearing behind the rock and emerging and, you know, they, they for a contemporary audience, they had to do something. And that's why they, you know, that's why they got a Juilliard actor to, to, yeah. to make the performance yeah. as opposed to just somebody from Muscle Beach that, you know, wouldn't know one end of transformation from the other. And he sells it absolutely in that one scene and you never question it again. No. It, it, it's no. just like okay so that's how he does it and, it, and it, the question is answered it is it is a pity that that the supergirl film kind of lacks the verisimilitude of the donner of the donner film of the donner films yeah. you know it, like that there is you know it's like the superman 3 and superman 4 the further they got away from 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 dick's vision and dick's concepts you know they 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 it kind of it, you know it did it dipped it dipped in quality and you can see it on screen <laughs> Absolutely. You know what? Just while while we're discussing the George Reeves, while, while that's in proximity of uh, of this Supergirl movie, there's a scene where she uses her X-ray vision and uh, and she sees a car driving away. Right. For, for, first thing I noticed with the X-ray vision, she uses blue eye beams similar to Lois and Clark, which I thought was fun because usually in the Christopher Reeve movie, it's just like you just see what he's looking at and and it's an X-ray. Mm. 
Whereas this is actually beams extending from her eyes, which is the first time I think they did that, which is kind of fun. But what annoyed me about her X-ray vision was she's looking at a wall, a static wall, and then when it shows the X-ray image, it's a panning shot. Oh, yeah. So she's she's seeing a shot that's moving, <laughs> even though she's only looking at And they used to do that on the George Reeves show all the time. He'd just see this image that made no sense. <laughs> And I, I just, I, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's yeah. just to accelerate the narrative, isn't it, really? It's just a, a, a storytelling device rather than... But, uh... but, but they could they could have just had a locked-off shot of the Jeep moving, but instead they had this weird panning shot. Like, anyway. <laughs> Let's get back to Selena's evil plot of, uh, of seducing the gardener. She, yeah, so she wants to seduce the gardener and she puts a, a love spell on him, but because of the nature of the love spell he doesn't see her straight away he wanders into the street and in fact in one of the best sequences of the movie he wanders into the street and somehow finds himself trapped in this piece of construction vehicle that's driving down the street supergirl saves him she transforms back into linda lee her secret identity for some reason and he sees linda lee and immediately falls in love with her and the rest of the movie is selena warring with linda lee and supergirl for this uh idiot's affections um and i i feel like he's the main he's that there's no real threat other than that this man might fall in love with selena isn't there not particularly and, world domination is her overall goal apparently yeah. but this whole garden it's it's kind of like i can imagine them i can imagine maybe a room full of of white guys going you know we're making this for girls we have to you know we have to put something in that girls will like you know we'll put in this love yeah, there needs to be you know yeah. and you know unfortunately they uh, you know they didn't uh, give the the target audience the, the credit that they deserved that you know this was a silly kind of a plot and it wasn't it wasn't really going to go anywhere um I, I i've i've read a lot of critiques of the movie that like it almost could have been a feminist opus only that the the, the plot entirely revolves around uh, the villain trying to make a man fall in love with her and the hero trying to save the man because she's in love with the man. Yeah. So it entirely, it, it, you know, there was no need for it. It's like, like what they thought girls would like or should like. Um, and I don't think that, uh, obviously that completely missed the target, I think, because it's, there's no real chemistry there. There's no, it's really forced. It's really forced in there. It's, it's, it's almost like it was kind of written just before shooting or something. What, what do you think about it, Martin? Yeah, I, again, this is just. Uh, I mean, when you when you talk about it, when you say that you know she, the whole motivation is for the gardener to fall in love with her. It just sounds like <laughs> something you're ma- you're making up as you're talking. Yeah. And, <laughs> but you know, I can assure you, everybody that hasn't seen this picture, that these are in fact the facts. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 bewildering. But you know, I think you know, with with this lack of verisimilitude, it, it kind of like. And it does kind of really come off like it's a bunch of blokes that are just trying to make it, give it appeal for, for a, a, demo, a demographic they have no understanding of in the yeah. first instance. And hoping, you know, hoping for Christ's sakes that the visuals will be so spellbinding and everything else will carry the whole thing through. And, you know, and they it's all magic are. and it's all, and it's all spectacle. And it does a hell of a job of that. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, the, 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 we've talked about the budget, the, the whole, the quality of the production they built the mid the the town of Midvale mm. and the backlot of Pinewood preceding Batman by uh, five or so years at, a, at an incredible cost, and um, if you yeah, there's a cracking little sequence in the making of Supergirl where uh, Juno Schwark is being interviewed, and they're doing this whole massive expensive complex sequence where the tire. I think I think it's from a display from a yeah, car garage rules, or something. Yeah. This this tire is rolling down the street and it, you know it's clattering everybody it comes by, 
And I think I think it's Timothy Burrell, the producer, just says, and he just turns around ever so politely says, uh, "Do you know, darling? We do know you do know we are shooting now, don't you?" <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's missing the whole damn thing, and it must have, it must have cost thousands to to re rig. Um, but it just gives you an idea of the kind of the scale of the thing. It, it had so much money thrown at it. Uh, the Salkines pulled out every stop. And I think going back to a point that you made earlier, Alan, it, the, you know, it became kind of a, a video shelf warmer. Uh, that's exactly what its uh, final kind of status was. Yeah. But if um, the only comparison I can draw is it's the same thing happened to Santa Claus, the movie, almost mm. exactly the same. I mean, they were virtually next to each other on the shelf. That's how closely associated they were. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's that that's that sequence, Martin. Though is incredible, and there's so much. There's as much destruction and kind of craziness going on in that sequence as there is in the the final battle in Superman Two, where there's cars flying around and there's you know cars being crushed. And at one stage, there's an entire barn that's destroyed by this. Um, I don't know what you'd even call. It. Is it is it a digger? Yeah, it's a digger. It's like an uh, of, like a, an excavator kind of a. At, at one stage it crashes into the, the only problem i have with the sequence is that cara slash linda lee is kind of just standing watching it all happen for far too long and like when she finally flies in though it's amazing like she she there's a brilliant wire shot she comes right in she grabs the side of the digger and we see her holding onto it for like yeah you know and she kind of removes it and moves off yeah. with it it's incredible now i remember and, and then she that. and then she lets it crash into another building which it yeah. destroys again it's kind of like you know but the shot where still, she it's... uh snaps off the front of the digger yeah uh it was in the trailer yeah and i remember watching i remember seeing the trailer for it i can't remember i was seeing it at the time but i remember seeing it in the trailer she snaps the front of the digger off and i was like wow look yeah. at that because she flies she flies down the digger is moving and she flies down and she 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 takes the bucket of the digger and then she kind yeah. of disconnects it and continues on with it. Like, it's yeah. incredible. And, like, there's another shot where she flies through a water tank. But they, they seem to have, yeah. for some reason, that they don't really explain. And, and maybe it was a line that was left out when Chris left or something. Uh, she seems to be kind of prioritized, prioritized with keeping her, her, her presence a secret from everybody. Like, you know, nobody actually sees her really performing these acts. That, that, that. Again, that that was an element in Supergirl comics. Like when she first came into the Silver Age comics, Superman had this whole thing where it was like, "We need to keep your existence a secret from Earth," you know, un, until we until we can figure out what's going on or something like that. And for a large portion of Supergirl's history, she was a secret, and she'd 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 save Midvale in secret. Um, and I feel like maybe that was an aspect of. The original script when Superman was still in it that he told her you know we need to keep your existence a secret until, until later and it wasn't until kind of the early 70s or, or the late 60s or the early 70s where Superman finally revealed Supergirl's uh, existence to the world and they had a big parade for her and all this kind of stuff oh. so I feel like maybe that was an element of the movie that just sort of got lost in the somewhere I think in the context of the film I think what it what it is is that um, she's a visitor because she still has a home to go back to and save in yes. the context of the film. She's not staying because she can't stay. Um, so she, I don't think she wants to get or at least become a, a, a fixture of, of that universe because, you know, it's like, guys, I'm only here because I'm, you know, it, getting out of school is an easy thing to do and, you know, to, to disappear at that level because she's got, she's got Argo City to get back to, whereas Superman doesn't have that, you know, he's got nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. So Earth is his home. Therefore, you know, there's no kind of, there's no drama inherent in that, but with Supergirl there is. Well, well you could argue, you could argue, Argo, you could argue that he could go to Argo City too because his people are there, according to this movie. <laughs> and that's why, that's why the whole concept yeah 
yeah. falls flat yes. on its backside from from the outset. Yes. Yeah. One of my earliest memories of of uh, watching this film uh, when I was a kid was my mind being blown in the scene where she's in the school. And the principal leaves the office and she types up the letter and it's from Clark Kent. And oh, there's a mention of Clark Kent. Oh, yeah. oh, my God. And like when you're a kid, you're like, oh, my God, is Clark Kent going to walk in? Is he going to be in the movie? I don't know. And then the scene when she meets Lucy Lane and you see the poster on the wall, that famous, famous uh, publicity shot from Superman, the movie. And, you yeah. know, they, they play the, the hint of the team kind of plays in and she reaches up in a kind of a strange way and kind of <laughs> touches the poster but it's it's just even now whenever that thing comes on it, it just gives me kind of uh, as the younger people would say the feels as I, as I watch it because you can't get a taste of oh my god what it, it is connected like even though it's it's not yeah it's a shared it universe a shared universe yeah. you know they've they've yeah. you know maybe not the way you'd like it to be but it is a shared universe yeah well it's the one scene that even if you're you know have affection for the picture and it's the one scene that everybody remembers yeah. when she sees the yeah. poster i don't know how she knows who clark kent is i mean that yeah. that must mean that you know the, the whole thing runs concurrently with you know they're perfectly aware of his status on on earth and they're just living their their life too but it, it doesn't gel there you know there's not enough kind of exposition to to kind of it doesn't you know the, it's glossed over completely frankly i mean yeah. they, they, I, and it wouldn't have taken much i don't no. think to to you know put the connections better in there but as a consequence of of chris cutting out then you know it's probably all fell by the wayside so let's talk about faye dunaway for a minute because faye dunaway plays selena who's a, a kind of a, a witch uh, some form of a witch who lives in this very strange kind of setup where she lives in this kind of abandoned carnival uh, uh, amusement park um, and she has these really kind of elaborate, strange 1980s parties with all these kind of hippies and, and, <laughs> and voodoo people and um, Nigel, who's into witchcraft, who's kind of who turns out to be Kara's English professor, English professor, Matt, Matt, professor, Matt's teacher. Matt's teacher. Yeah. Um, what do we think of Faye Dunaway in the movie, guys? I think that uh, I mean, obviously, she's a stunning actress. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that it, she was merely. Uh, another soul kind ploy like the same thing they did with Brando and that's just to have a name on the poster yeah. you know it, it, she was huge uh, back in her day and uh, you know to have to have somebody of that uh, caliber attached to your film will only do the business so uh, but beyond that I think that you know Mr. Noway absolutely knows the kind of thing that this is and just uh, runs with it just absolutely goes crazy with it um Towards the end, it's pure pantomime. Yeah. By the time that the you know the, the creature that she's you know uh, used the Omega Hedron to summon to her, you, we've lost her. Really, she's 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 off doing her own thing. Because we have we have we have two kind of uh, big battles. We have the battle um, with the invisible uh, creature first that that Selena Selena summons us to attack Kara uh, in the school, and she does this this kind of change where she flies through the window, and as she flies through the window, she yeah. flies in in one outfit and flies out in her Supergirl costume, which I love. Yeah. I, I really, it's Great real. yeah. Great shot, yeah. And then you you see this this kind of shadow monster. It's completely invisible, and it's, you can see that the, it's stepping on kind of fences and stepping on cars. And the the entire sequence ends up with her flying up into the uh, sky. She she breaks off. Um, she's she's basically uh, losing first, and then she she gets this um, lamppost. Uh, streetlight lamppost and she flies up to the sky and she gets it she has it struck by lightning and then she flies down and somehow uses that like as a conductor to electrify the the shadow monster and you can kind of see glimpses of him then uh, towards the end very strange that they kept him um, invisible for so long but i presume that was budgetary 
No, I don't think it was budgetary. Oh. Um, I no, I, not at all. I, I in fact, I think it's better for not seeing him. Yeah, you know, it's like the old Jaws effect, isn't it? Um, and they, you know, when the cars are imploding and all that, they they done that kind of thing with with, with the Superman picture. So Colin Chilvers knew exactly what he was doing at that point. You know, just to wrench these things from the inside. I think it's a very, um, it's probably the best you know punch up in the in the film really because the one at the end is kind of reminiscent of crawl and kind of not convincing so much as a result of it i think her, her battle i, I like the one at the end i have to say you do <laughs> I, I i don't know i i, I think it's i think it's effective rob, enough. rob I feel has like a habit of liking things that are very weird <laughs> and that other people don't really get <laughs> do, 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 do you know what it made me th- so, sorry to jump ahead but the the, the fight at the end it reminded me of is it Mark Rosenthal who wrote Superman Four and he has a he was talking on the commentary about how one of the original ideas they had for Nuclear Man was that he would be able to he, he would either be able to transform into a giant monster or that he would just be a giant monster and that that was one of the original ideas they had for him because the, obviously there's a long tradition of Superman fighting giant creatures in comics and I I remember hearing this in the commentary thinking. Well, no, they never would have been able to do that. But then I was watching Supergirl last night going, huh, that they're actually, this is, this is okay. Like this is convincing enough. And it's, it's a cool kind of model and it's, it's very kind of dark crystal type thing looking, you know, it, it looks like something from the Jim Henson workshop and they're lighting it in such a way where you're not really seeing its shortcomings and she's interacting with it. And, you know, I, I, I kind of, it, it was charming enough. Yeah. I was glad it was in the movie, put it that way, you know? No, it's again. Again, it's. I mean, I love the film. It. I, I don't dislike any of it. I mean, especially. I mean, the way that that whole sequence ends, where the mirror picks up from the floor and then yeah. forms yeah. back into one, and she stood yeah. there. That's that's powerful stuff. You know, that was a really cracking shot. It's full of that. Those kind of uh, so asides. Let's let let's get to that part. So so basically, um, Selena. The, there's a great scene actually where she takes off. Selena has this mountain. She kind of takes over the town, and she's got this kind of military force. And this mountain appears with this fortress on top of it. And everybody's like, "Where did the fortress come from?" You see Mark McClure's Jimmy Olsen, and you see Lucy Lane at the bottom, and staring into the distance, staring into the distance as only he can. And next thing you have, Supergirl takes off, and she's she's flying towards. The mount. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Is she sent to the Phantom Zone first before this part? Yes, she is sent to the Phantom Zone at the end of the battle. I think isn't she with the Invisible Monster? Uh, because or there, yeah, or no, because yeah. What happens is Selena takes the the gardener, Ethan the gardener, and um, kidnaps him basically, and she flies away. She and there's this great shot with this because one thing we have to mention is the amazing um, score by Jerry Goldsmith. In the movie, it's a fantastic score. Uh, I was waiting for you to get to that. Yeah, yeah. and like, I, like I'm sure a lot of listeners will know that Jerry Goldsmith was originally approached to to, to do the Super and the movie score, and then he couldn't do it. And and John Williams thankfully came in because his score is just you know, we all know what the John Williams score is. Um, but this beautiful score that he he, he that Jerry Goldsmith came up with for the for for the film. What do you think about that, Martin? Before I I, I go on. It's a it's a staggering score, absolutely staggering. Doesn't get anywhere near the kind of recognition or no. praise that it should. Um, it was tinkered with. I mean, the, if you have the original CD release, that's purely orchestral, yeah. and then for the film uh, later, there was electronic. Uh, Jiggly Pokery, shall we say, apply to it. I think both are as good yeah. as each other. I, I enjoy listening to it. the main theme or the conclusion of the main theme. Actually, when it when it builds up. Uh, absolutely stunning of its time still stands up to the to this day yeah, cause it's, it's, never get bored of hearing it same as the superman thing when i was listening to it recently i i found it really interesting i don't know are you a star trek fan martin are you oh, of course i am sure 
So, so th this wouldn't have been long after oh. Star Trek the motion picture and you can draw a clear line between the yeah. two like the, the kind of sweeping kind of orchestral the only the, the only thing I would say like a lot of Goldsmith scores are like this where they, they have one theme and they just repeat that theme again and again and again and again whereas Williams will, will kind of weave in all these different kind of elements of the theme like you'll have Superman theme you know the fanfare the can you read my mind like there'll be all these different elements where whereas Supergirl is kind of just same thing and it's that again and then like 10 years later he did the shadow and that was the same thing again which I, you know and and star trek has a little bit little bit guilty of that as well like he kind of has a theme and he reiterates that but i i think as you said it is it's i love some of the elements that come into it they kind of you hear this kind of every couple yeah. of seconds in the yeah. Supergirl music which I love yeah yeah that's the ele um, the electronic tinkering I was, I was uh, talking about that they added later but he yeah you, you're absolutely right I mean the, the main theme the da, 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 da. but I actually like the secondary theme a bit better where it's a bit more romantic yeah. da, 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 yes da, it's lovely da. so yeah and it's yeah. not played it's not really played as a love theme it's more played like as kind of a personal coming of age theme which I liked this, like, is, exactly. this is the part where we'll get our, our, our fantastic editor to uh, play a little bit of the music while, uh, uh, after, the, after this clip uh, our, our very good editor uh, Rob <laughs> Right. We'll I could sing the whole thing for you if you'd like. But. <laughs> um, funny enough, just before we move on from the theme, um, it's in the in the trailers. Uh, they actually use the super in the movie, um, uh, the, the John Williams score. Um, I believe it's yeah. in the trailers. Maybe the Jerry Goldsmith one wasn't available at that time or hadn't been completed yet. I'm not sure. The most exciting part of the original Anchor Bay DVD release from, God, 2005, mm. was there was this teaser trailer that I'd never seen before and it comprised of helicopter footage of New York uh, and it had the John Williams Superman theme uh, and then it just came up with Supergirl and I was totally exhilarated by that. I thought that was the, if you have that DVD then, I'm not sure if it even made it onto the Blu-ray, but maybe it did. Yeah, no, um, I think I have the, the, the one that was released in 2000, the, the, the earlier one than that, I think. Is that Anchor Bay? I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe it is. I think it, I think it was Anchor Bay because I think Anchor Bay bought the rights to the home video release of Supergirl and and they were and that was from fan demand if I remember because I remember when Supergirl was released on DVD by Anchor Bay everyone was saying oh well then maybe Anchor Bay could release the Superboy show on DVD right. this was back before that was right, released right, right. that's the only reason I know that yeah I wish they had I wish yeah. I wish they'd uh, done exactly that because they they were terrific it was the first DVD I ever bought it's what prompted me to go and buy a machine that's how long ago it was wow um, I, I think it's one of the earliest ones I got. I, I definitely remember one of the first DVDs I got was the Master, the nineteen eighty seven Masters of the Universe on DVD, which again maybe also written by David maybe O'Dell. I just like to punish myself. I, I don't know, but uh, Supergirl <laughs> I mean, was, I, was very close. After. I, I love Masters. I absolutely adore so Masters of the Universe. I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Unapologetically adore. There's that a reason. There's a reason why we're all friends. <laughs> yeah. Alan, yeah, Alan, you're a man of the law, so I won't put you in an awkward position. But if ever you find yourself with some uh, self-prescribed herbal remedies, Masters of the Universe is a great movie to watch. Um, so getting back to it, uh, Supergirl arrives in the uh, in the fortress, and there's uh, a brief battle, and she is uh, sent to the Phantom Zone um, and there's a great shot where she you can see her in the pane of glass similar to the Christopher Reeve movies but then unlike the Christopher Reeve movies we get to go to the Phantom Zone and I really wanted to pick your brain about this Martin and see what you thought about the way that the movie represented the Phantom Zone 
compared to the Christopher Reeve movies? Uh, they're obviously intended to be the same thing. They use the same, uh, as you say, the, the mirrored effect. Um, I was fascinated to see what the inside of the Phantom Zone was like. It was very comic book influenced, which I think was the right way to go, especially in the context of this particular picture. Mm. Um, have it be a barren wasteland of total misery. But I think more than that, I think Helen sells it completely with the performance because, you know, it's not long until she's covered head to toe in mud and she doesn't have a single ability. Yeah. And she picks up that rock and she squeezes the rock and blood spurts out of her hand, which I thought was pretty, pretty tough pretty for, dark, you know, yeah. the rating at the time. Um, and then she, you know, she bumps into Peter O'Toole, you know, squirt. squirt. Um, and, you know, he, he's obviously just lost the will to live. And, uh, you know, from a narrative point of view, from a, it doesn't slow anything down. It just gives you a really fascinating insight. So I think that whole sequence, especially when they're trying to fight their way out of it um, in the Maelstrom, is, is brilliant. Maybe the best sequence in the film. I don't know. I, I, I was going to yeah. say, Martin, because you said earlier on that the, the one scene everyone remembers is the scene where you see the Superman poster. I feel like the other scene everyone remembers is that that you actually go to the Phantom Zone in this movie. Yeah. And that that's one of the things that sticks out in my mind watching it as a kid was, oh my God, we're actually in the Phantom Zone. And I feel like they do such a good job of explaining that, you know, her pressed up against the glass pane is kind of like a visual representation of the, you know, to, to quote Anchorman, the glass case of emotion that she's in. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's cool not Anchorman. literally what's happening <laughs> It's not literally what's happening in the Phantom Zone. It's kind of just a visual representation. And I feel like that even comes, even watching it as a child, I kind of realized, oh, okay, so that's what it is. Because that was, that was so, going to be my question to you, Martin. My question was going to be, do you think that it breaks with the continuity of the Christopher Reeve movies or do you think that it adds to it? No, I quite, I quite like the fact that it expands on it. And I agree totally with Rob because that's that's what it's supposed to represent. I mean, if, if anything, the, the, the Phantom Zone as it, as it is with the mirror, it's supposed to represent the kind of, the, the method of transport. You know, that's what, it, it's what the, the thing that Jarrell invented that, that actually, the, the, the dimension comes down to collect you. Yeah. And that's the dimension flying away. And meanwhile, inside the dimension, this is what's occurring. And that's the barren wasteland I'm, that we see. I'm forevermore going to think of the glass case of emotion whenever I see the phantom. <laughs> I'm never going to forgive you for that, Rob. <laughs> this is good at metaphor, my, my isn't it? My girlfriend actually has this kind of fan art postcard thing she got years ago, which is Ron Burgundy trapped in the phantom zone. It says I'm in a glass case of emotion. <laughs> so that's that's kind of why it came to me. But I, I feel like, and again, there's... a uh, connection here because Joanno uh, Schwartz directed a lot of episodes of Smallville and that's exactly the same way they did the Phantom Zone it was that you know Clark was pressed up against the glass pane but then when they go into the and the actual dimension it was this kind of hellish kind of barren I, sort of desert it's land very memorable kind of because I mean you have a situation where like she has given up it, it's almost like the, the Phantom Zone itself sucks your will from you because suddenly she's like you know there's this great scene and to be fair it is a great scene where she's like you know i can't do it i can't i can't and and zoltar is peter O'Toole. zoltar is saying you know you can you can do it you know you can do it and it's great like wh whatever you say about like uh, as a father of a, of a of a little girl myself you know whatever you can say about the the silly love story and the fact that they got that so wrong that's that's a really great um scene yeah. to say you know you you are yeah. strong you don't need those powers it's inside of you you can do it thoughts <laughs> yeah i mean for me i just think it's so odd that peter O'Toole is playing zoltar and not zorel and i i'd kind of forgotten i i always assumed as a kid that he was playing zorel 
And it was only watching it this time that it was like, oh no, there's this complete random man in his early 30s playing Zorel and Peter O'Toole is a completely different character. Like, why is he not playing? Like, they could, this could just as easily have been her father. I don't understand why it isn't. No, it I do. Be. I agree, though, Alan. That's, it is. It is a that's nice. That's an excellent point. That is an excellent point. If it had been Zorel who had taken the Omega Hedron out, and 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 it would have made more sense that he had given it to his daughter or trusted his daughter with it, and then it had been lost, and Zorel had been sent to the Phantom Zone, and it was he who perished, saving his daughter. And there could have been, been there, so much more. Powerful. There could have been a there could have been a nice sassy line from Peter O'Toole talking about his you know arrogant older brother who <laughs> you know predicted Chris or Krypton's demise or you know we could have had a bit of continuity there instead of just this random you know thirty one year old who turns up yeah. and because Zorel it, I, I, I Zorel know. does come across uh, as a bit as as, as I said we've seen in another podcast a bit of a damn squib he he does come across. Um, a, a bit lifeless. Whereas Pedro O'Toole as Zorel, jeez, oh, that would have been great. What, what do you it would think, have Brian? been great? Yeah, I, I, guys, I mean, superb stuff. I mean, you should have written that. You should have written the thing. <laughs> it does. It, it does make so much more sense because you you would you would it would have so much more. Um, you know the the whole death scene. I mean, I I yeah. still it still upsets me a little when he's when he turns on he says I am with you and you know he's gone. Yeah. You know, if that would have so much resonate so much more if that was in fact her father she was saying goodbye to, I think you could tie. There's another great opportunity to tie it to the the Superman franchise yeah. by saying that you know my brother who predicted the end of the world he didn't predict the end of this one and here we are. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's just again there's so many missed opportunities, opportunities that yeah. you could you could you could see in there. I, I do. I feel like it was ill-advised. I know you mentioned the squirt thing as well. I was I, I, I found that very odd, especially knowing what we know about Peter O'Toole's, uh, you know, Irishness. drinking habits. <laughs> Irishness. I, yeah, I, like I think that was deliberate. You know, I think they definitely played on that. I think that was yeah, possibly absolutely because yeah. it, it was so blatantly done. I think that they were capitalizing on that because yeah. he, you know, plays it so well for a start. But, you know, there was no no real really, other than to, and I should probably raise this point as well, is that the Phantom Zone in the comics, um, when you when you do go into that dimension, uh, you are essentially a phantom. You are not your whole self. In other words, you're kind of a projection of yourself. And so the reason that you don't have your your whatever powers and abilities that you have in the outside world is because you're only kind of like you're stripped down to the dimension takes away the best of you and leaves a ghost of you in in that uh, in that dimension. Is what I've gathered. Yeah, from. that's great. Well, that's uh, you know, uh, just thinking about it, I just uh, I didn't realize how much I, I actually enjoyed that scene of the film, and it probably is yeah. like looking back on it now, it probably is the best scene of the film, um, by far. I'd 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 I'd, I'd guess. Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd be willing to go along with that. Yeah. So it's it's definitely the best dramatically. I think yeah. it's 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 a it's the one it's the scene that definitely has the most verisimilitude from start to finish. Yeah. Um. So, Kara uh, and uh, Zaltar. Uh, try to climb out of the phantom zone basically there's an opening that they can climb through and selena yep. can see what's going on she's throwing kind of fireballs at them or some magic balls at them and tornadoes and basically um uh, zalter shields uh cara and is, is swept away by by the tornado and like you said there um says that he'll always be with her and he, he falls to his to his death and there's this great scene then where you have the the opening at the top and she stands up to the fanfare of the of the music and the the cape billows in the wind and next thing she smashes through the window into the the fortress uh, for the final battle and you were talking about that rob about the final battle with the shadow creature 
you want to talk yeah. about that a bit more? Well, yeah, no, it's just this kind of great big kind of Muppet-looking practical shadow <laughs> creature. It's sort of a dragon-looking thing, and there's this smoke billowing around it, and it's it's lit just right, so it doesn't look too fake, and she's kind of going up and doing battle with it. And it's, Yeah, I just, thought, I just thought it was kind it, of... It, Kind of groovy. It does kind of have the worst effect of the whole film, though, is that that scene where it, it, it has her and it's kind of stretching her, like whatever Selena is doing. Oh, and she's kind of, yeah, yeah she's kind of two-dimensional all of yeah, a sudden. Yeah. And that, uh, that's a poor effect now, to be fair. We can't, like, it, it doesn't look great at all. Um, but, like, the shadow creature is like an inverse. And has, has have either of you read the, the comic adaption of Supergirl? No. The, it's different in the end in that... I'm trying to remember this correctly, but basically it's literally the shadow side or the opposite side or a, a, another dimensional side of Selena herself. And in the comic, it actually it, it's like Selena with a skull, like her faces. It oh, has wow. changed and it actually takes Selena. How it ends is it actually takes Selena in the end. It's almost like some kind of a reaper or something. And it takes it turns on Selena in the end, whereas in this version, she she escapes out of it kind of grabs her and it's it's twisting her and she escapes out and she what does she do she flies at it and then she kind of it, it I, I don't know if the effect is off because it looks like she shrinks down and then spins around it, it kind of to make it in a, a tornado around it but I, I think yeah. that's just a poor effect I think it's she's just meant to be I mean, uh, spinning, spinning around, around it creating kind of a a, a world uh, a tornado kind of like the one that was in the phantom zone that which takes the, the the creature and selena and the selena's um kind of friend or, or ally otis or selena's <laughs> otis yeah and o- otis who had never seen in anything else except she was that that actress i have her name there somewhere um is joey tribbiani's mother and friends I don't know if that's that's the, the oh, only that's thing I, I recognize her from. Um, and it kind of ends there. Am I right? That's, uh, she creates a tornado and, and it basically no. oh, it goes into the mirror. That's right. Sorry. It goes into the mirror. It goes into the mirror and then the mountain fortress thing disappears. And uh, Jimmy and Lucy are kissing on the street and it disappears. They open their eyes and Lucy has a great line where she goes, that was some kiss, which I kind of thought was kind of cool. It felt like it was from a better movie. And like you said, Mark, but, that, that when the glass shoots into the mirror and she's there, she's standing or, you know, inverse with the S the other way and the, the music is there. It's, it's, a, it's a great shot. Yeah, it's just indicative of the, the spell has been broken. Yeah. And, uh, you know, every, everything that has gone before has, has miraculously uh, sewn itself up. You know, it's, it, it's a very tiny piece of storytelling and it, it's very economical. And, yeah. you know, some of the effects that you talk about, especially the elongated stretching and, the you know, the stuff they do with mirrors, it's it's so of its time. It, it, yeah. it beggars, yeah. beggars belief, you know, that's that's just the kind of thing that they did. But, um, yeah, it's just, uh, as, as we're talking about it, I'm, I, you know, I'm just getting, and I hope this has the same effect on everybody listening, is they just want to yeah. get the get that disc straight out and stick it in the player again yeah, because you, you find it so much better than you remember. Yeah. I, I, I want to ask you guys, because I know, Alan, you mentioned that there are different versions of the movie. I, I have a vague memory of the movie ending with Supergirl talk, Supergirl in her Supergirl outfit, not Linda Lee, talking to Jimmy and Lucy and both of them agreeing not to tell anyone what happened. And then Supergirl that's flying in my, away. That's in my DVD. Okay, because the version I watched is literally Supergirl flies away. Jimmy and Lucy are kissing on the street. Supergirl flies away, and that's it. There's no final talk with Lucy and Lucy. So that that, that is my yeah. That's one hundred percent. There's this okay. yeah. There there is a scene where and um I can't remember. I think it's Lucy says, "Don't worry, we're not going to tell anybody your secret." And 
Oh, so they they know she's Linda. Oh, Lee. yeah. By the end of it, they do. And and Ethan, it is Ethan, isn't it? Ethan. Ethan. Ethan knows That's as right. well. He he's yeah. he's figured it out. And I think his yeah. that the love portion is broken. But there's yeah. you know, yeah. Because the problem there is that Linda could Linda know or sorry, uh, Lucy knows that Clark Kent <laughs> is Linda's cousin. So that this is what was running through my head when I was thinking about that scene. Never never. So therefore. Lucy, and therefore, by association, Jimmy could realise that Clark Kent is Superman. I think Jimmy is doing exactly what you say and staring off into the distance. <laughs> 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 I don't think he's, uh, you know, he would have been fabulous to have Mark McClure kind of like, you know, just stand there a bit like Mike McFly and say, there's something familiar about all this, <laughs> you know, look, looking <laughs> yeah. around him. Would you have liked to have seen that maybe uh, uh, more of a, maybe a romance between um, Cara and Mark McClure's Jimmy Olsen than Jimmy and Lucy Lane? No. No. <laughs> wouldn't have worked. Wouldn't have worked. Um, I, I, I love Mark McClure. I don't, I don't think that would have been his uh, game. I'd love, I'd love to saying. hear him. I, I, I've never heard Mark McClure talk about Supergirl, the movie. I'd love to, no. to hear what he has to say about no. it now. No, um, I've met Helen a couple of times at wow. uh, various cons. What a sweet, lovely, unassuming lady she is. And uh, last I saw her, I'd heard that she was going to be in uh, the, the newest series. And uh, I just, uh, you know, how awkward these things are when you, you meet, you're bumping into icons and that's exactly what they are. Yeah. You know, you, you just you don't know what to say. And I just said, you know yeah. what? I, I, I really want to thank you for sticking with this, you know, because, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's been a long time now, you know, since 84, and you've made such an impression on me and everybody else I know. And, to, you know, to come back to it the way that you have and, you know, to honour the whole thing, I think is, a, is really special. And she just said, you know, thank you. <laughs> you know, that, that's all you can, ex- can she seems expect. Like a, she seems like a nice person. And oh, she's so sweet. And, and so, she, you know, she's so good in it. She, like, she really was for such a younger woman. Was she 19, uh, Martin, about 19, maybe? I th- yeah, I think she was 19. And uh, I, she's kind of, I think she's made a lot of peace with it. I think that she did a picture called uh, The Legend of Billie Jean, I think, yeah. which she thought, that's right, which she thought was a much better depiction of, you know, a, a, a teenage girl's, you know, journey, if mm. you like. Um, and she wished she could have applied that a bit more to, to Supergirl. And she's, she's 100% right. Yeah. Um, it's a shame she didn't get the sequel. Uh, I think all sorts of uh, stuff could have, you know, all sorts of fabulous material could have emerged from that. Um, and, you know, who knows, Chris may have been involved, you know, at, at that, with that as well. But it's just one of those things. It is what it is. And it's uh, a fabulous curia. I, I, I think, yeah, I, I think it is a shame she never got the sequel. And I think especially because we associate the 80s so much with teen movies. And it's such a shame that this doesn't really fit in with any of those. Like when it so easily could have, like you could have gotten a John Hughes yeah. or, or or even a yeah. Joel Schumacher could have made a, you know, a cool, you know, teenage yeah. girl. Look, sort look, of look what you did with movie, the Lost you know? Boys and that, that kind of teenage setup. In that and movie. he yeah, made yeah. St. Elmo's Fire, yeah. you know, like th- there's plenty of directors that could have made a great kind of, teenage coming of age kind of teenage girl kind of movie with yeah. uh, the superman mythos behind it you know? i agree a dream team uh of both i think if if uh john hughes had had a pass over the script and then somebody like schumacher shot it then who knows what we would have ended up with um it would have would have been crazy and now martin the, the question i have for you is um so supergirl has the budget that superman 4 nearly had uh, which do you think is objectively the better movie? Ooh, well, you say the, it had the budget you had. I mean, Superman 4 did have that budget until Masters took it away. Um, yeah. oh, gosh. 
I think that's a really, really good question. Uh, it was interesting to see Supergirl brought into a contemporary setting the same way that Superman was. But I think that Superman 4 manages to just pip it in terms of accelerating the, you know, the, Superman 4 had something to say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was some consequence to, uh, some real world consequences to what was going on there. And it was trying to address an issue, however dated that may be now. It was trying to, or, or is it? Because the yeah. environmental thing is still very, very uh foremost on people's minds but i think chris was very aware that he had an opportunity to kind of have superman do something you know when i say do something i mean it do something that has ramifications in our time in our reality yeah. and so for just for the, the the bravery and conceit of that alone uh it might not have been executed well but you know the the premise was there the idea was there and some of it gets through whereas supergirl is 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 pretty much popcorn. It's it's yeah. a bit of fluff. Yeah. There's some there's some great themes at work. There's some ter terrific visuals at work. There's even some terrific performances at work. But I think the reason that most audiences kind of came away from it empty, and you know the reason it don't it doesn't resonate across the years, is because it, you know there was, it's not really about anything. It's a kind of generic fantasy picture that you know is as disposable as the rest of them kind of were. You know they're fondly remembered, um, but that's about as far as they go. You know we we don't talk about them. I, I agree yeah I, I i think the story for superman 4 is is definitely stronger and i think there are character arcs in superman 4 that you can follow and e e even if if you think the story is weak or that it's it's not fleshed out enough there's definitely a through line there that you can go with and whereas i was watching supergirl and i kind of realized i could actually hit the mute button right now and I'd be able to follow the story just as easily as I am right and now. All the you know, whereas, whereas that's not true. Superman all the 4, faults you know? with Superman Four. Th there's reasons behind those faults. You know, the budget being cut. You know, you know the the, the canon interference or whatever. With Supergirl, I don't feel like. Yeah, I understand. We Christopher Reeve left the project, but the holes in the plot and the holes they can't blame. You know, the budget being cut. They can't blame anything. It it, it was just. It was just poorly executed at the end of the day. But the most important question I have for both of you, I'll start with you, Martin, is how many Omega Hedrons out of five of Omega Hedrons would you give Supergirl? <laughs> I would give it I would give it a solid three and a half. Oh, that's very generous, Martin. <laughs> I, no, it is. It is again, I don't know how much nostalgia plays in that. Yeah. And I wanna I just wanna as a as a side note, the final shot when she's approaching Argo City yes. with the Omega Hedron in hand. Love that. Yeah, it's beautiful. That, that's that's the way to end a picture. Yeah. You know, they they had everything there. They had all the money in the world. And, you know, I, I'm entertained by it. And ultimately whenever you talk about this this kind of especially these genre pictures that we're talking about so fondly it's 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 just another one of those that adds to the kind of huge the the Salkine pantheon if yeah. you like of uh, of all these magical pictures so yeah i, I rate it i really do what about, i enjoy it what about you rob Ooh, okay so in the pantheon of superman movies i i would probably well sorry the original reeve series at least i'd probably put this dead last and I, I, you know, I, I would comfortably give Superman three and four for all their faults. I would give them four or three Omega Hedrons each. So I think this would be two Omega Hedrons. I, I just want to um, hit you guys with my fan theory but before we go, by the way. So I, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about Martin's, um, you know, the, the fact that this doesn't really line up very well with the canon of Superman where there's no other Kryptonians and, 
you know, all that kind of stuff. And we were talking a lot about the Phantom Zone and inner space. So here's and, and, and of course, the final shot of the movie makes no sense because Super, Supergirl dives underwater and we see her flying towards Argo City. And you're like, hang on, what? So my theory is this. We have the Phantom Zone, which is kind of a malevolent uh, shadow dimension where it's awful and horrible and hellish and it's a living death, right? What if the inverse of that is inner space and it's home to these, you know, benevolent, heavenly, um, you know, spectral alien or, or angel type creatures? And that's what we that's what Argo City is. And that they're, they're these kind of angelic spirits and they, they can never leave because they're not truly alive. But then Zoltar finds a magic way to escape. And, and therefore, they're not actually Superman doesn't know they exist because they're part of another dimension as opposed to just another planet so supergirl is in fact a literal angel in this movie as she has been in the have comics have you been trying some of that herbal uh, <laughs> medication they were talking no about i there. promise do I, I, have. I have to search do i have to search you do i have to put the uniform on and come over there and search you <laughs> alan is knocking on do the I door have to get right a warrant? Now, planning to arrest me that's my fan theory and i'm sticking to it well okay 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 so let me counter that theory though by uh, suggesting that it would have been far more coherent and far more tied in with what had gone before if Argo City was in fact Candor. Yes. So if Candor, yes, if Ar- absolutely. If Argo City was in fact bottled, uh, there'd be some continuity issues, but mainly before, obviously before Krypton exploded. But you know they would know of Jarrell, they would know of certain yeah. things, and then you know they she managed to escape from there. And then, you know, obviously the ending of that picture could be, well, you know, there's a whole other part of Krypton that you don't know. I mean, that's a that's a beautiful way to end a, end a film. That's, but that's it, a better fan theory than mine. <laughs> well, it's, it, I don't know how much, honestly, uh, Rob, I don't know how much of a theory it is because I think some of the Soul Kind uh, script had elements of that. It, did, it definitely had Brainiac. Yeah. So Brainiac would have been the main villain responsible for, you know, uh, obtaining candor in the first place. But, you know, it, it's such a rich thing that, to bring the whole thing full circle that Superman 78 has finally tapped into and said, right, this is how it would go down. And I'm, you know, I'm living every frame of that for that reason. Yeah. It's definitely some, some form of, I've always in my own head, um, it's always been some form of other dimension that she, she somehow travels mm-hmm. through the, through the sea, through the water into this other dimension where this city has been like that preserved and is safe. And maybe nobody from Krypton knows that it's there. Um, but yeah, it's for myself. I I would agree with you, Rob. I'd I'd have to give it two. I'd have to give it two Omega Hedrons, and I I, I tell you why. Like, and I, I've said this before, but as a father of of a, of, a, of a younger, she's too she's too young to watch this now. She's only two, but um, like I I can't bring her to see the Zack Snyder movies, um, and nor would I, nor would I play them for her when she's five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten. Um, they're they're not suitable for her. Um, but I would have no problem and I would very much look forward to sitting down with my daughter and putting on the Helen Slater Supergirl 1984 movie and letting her have that experience of seeing, you know, a good hearted, kind heroine um, who's strong but gentle. Um, and that 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 lesson that I spoke of earlier on where, where Zoltar is, you know, explained to her that she has the strength without the powers to to meet whatever goal she needs to meet you know for that alone it, it definitely gets it definitely gets to to two omega hit runs from me um but yeah to be honest the more that i've talked about it 
I really thought, Rob, that we'd come in here and absolutely slate the film from start to finish. And the more that I talk about, like you said, Martin, I kind of want to yeah. go out and bu- I kind of want to buy the poster now and <laughs> put on the DVD again and get the Blu-ray. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you guys, this is the, when I'm asked about Superman 4, it's the same effect because, yeah. you know, I, there's a lot of affection for it. And you've summed it up there because I, I don't know what modern audiences kind of want now. I certainly know what's been supplied to them. Maybe, you know, maybe they are lapping up or maybe they're not. Maybe it's just so generic now that, you know, it is what it is. Cinema is, you can't tell me that cinema now is anything like what it used to be. Um, It's a whole other debate. But, um, you know, the the innocence that you talk about, the stories that you talk about and the fact that it's so universal. um, And like I say, I think it's incredibly entertaining. I enjoy the association it has with the Superman films, which are the ultimate for me. So as a a spin-off, that's why it gets the. That's why it gets that one extra Omega headroom from me. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 for me as well, I d- I just think you can give a little bit more of a pass to a bad movie from back then because, you know, that the practical effects that there's there there's just so much more of a story to the visual language of a movie that was made back then where everything had to be made for real. And there's wire work and there's, you know, a giant dragon creature that was, you know, a mixture of puppets and all these different things. Whereas now it would just all be done on a computer and I just wouldn't care. Yeah. Whereas when, when you see it back then, there's just a little bit more of a story to it. And I'm interested to see how they made it and how they made it work. So even if there wasn't a script, they still had to make this come to life somehow. Um, so I, th- I think that, that, you know, that for me, I, I mentioned earlier on that, like, when I realized watching this that I wasn't going to be able to be engaged by the story, I was still going to be engaged by the special yeah. effects, even though they've aged. But because there was so much work and so much kind of ingenuity went into them, I was able to enjoy them for what they were, you know. So on that note, everybody, that is Supergirl 1984. Martin, where can we find you if, if, if people are, are on the hunt for you? Where, where can we get you? Well, it is a period of, uh, of uh, great uh, change at the moment. I have just um, kind of uh, joined forces with KateWonder.com, the uh, oh, wow. yeah, the most notable uh, website uh, for the Reef movies uh, in the US. Yeah. Uh, Jim, Jim does great work. It's, it's, he's, oh. he's really, he is the gatekeeper of the Reef legacy. He is the gatekeeper. And so it just occurred to me how silly it would be. You know, we're not, we're not exactly running in different directions, but it, 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 it's just... I just kind of made the decision, like if uh, if I were kind of the European correspondent of Kate Wonder, it just made that so much more sense. You know, I've got yeah. that Superman seventy eight will remain itself, but it's going to be under that general umbrella. And uh, you know, we're not trying to take over the world or anything, but we're just trying to make it a, a more coherent kind of uh, venture, if you like. Um, so between uh, me, Jim Bowers, Jay Towers, and uh, anybody else that wants to get involved, uh, Superman seventy eight is still there. KateWonder.com is still there, and Facebook, just like you said, just like you guys. You know, um, these uh, these pages are more active than ever. They're, you know, and they're attracting more fans than ever. That yeah. you know, even if they have a passing interest, as soon as you take that plunge into this whole menagerie of you know memories and nostalgia and memorabilia and debate, I mean, you know, three grown ass men have sat here tonight and we've spoken <laughs> for two hours wow. about a, about <laughs> yeah about uh, you know a fantasy film from from the early eighties, but nobody really has the right to to do, and yet here we are, and we're stewing the virtues of it. You know, it's fabulous. Yeah, why not? Why not? In, let's enjoy it. Why not? Yeah, and let's enjoy. I it. meant to mention. I meant to mention as well. This is kind of technically our halloween episode because there's witches and, and that's, that's and so thin rob that is so thin. tenuous <laughs> at best yeah 
Um, but, is is there magic in the air? <laughs> yeah, but, but like you're saying, there, like we've been, we've been, I've been floored by the response even to this, like our small little podcast. Like it's, it's been great to, to to have people reach out. Like I said at the start, I really get a kick out of people reaching out. Going, I really enjoyed that. I really like listen. Like you know, when we had JM on, and people were saying, you know, that's great. To, yeah. to, I've read his books for so long, and to actually hear him speak about it, and it, it it's been so great, and yeah. it's such a great community. It's such a great fandom um the the superman the the the, the christopher reeve superman fandom and, and the superman fandom in general um i know like there's issues you know with 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 some of the snyder stuff and the way some fans have acted over the last couple of years in relation to that but overall especially when it comes to those classic films those classic tv sh- series it, it, it really is a, a great safe haven for fans to come together and to get to know each other and to help each other out and uh, i just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast tonight and for contributing contributing to to, to our, our discussion here Fellas, it's been an absolute pleasure. What can I tell you? It's it's just been a great, great time. I love talking about these things, and I, I will I will continue to do so until somebody tells me not to. We'll be very happy to have you back on again sometime in the future. If if we can coax yeah. you back on, that'd be great. I appreciate that, of course. Take care, Martin. Thank you. Thanks, Martin. Thanks, guys.